Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to this special edition episode of the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lutang Clan! Okay. Don't fuck with me. (laughs) So, this is a very awesome episode. Um, If you haven't seen it from the title, we've probably named it something crazy or awesome. Um, We have a live audience with us. Everybody say hi, yell, scream. Yeah! So we're doing a little private event here, here in our studio, at, in the Mix Studios. We're live on Twitch as well. Um, this is going to be like a big Q&A type, just discussion. We're ta- going to be talking about audio, gear, music, uh, work, business, life, anything, just solving problems. We're going to be a therapist for a couple hours, basically. Just So ca- call in right now. No, just <laughs> but um, yeah, this is going to be a good episode. Um, we want to make sure that everybody gets a little shout out as well during the evening. And are during this afternoon, lovely afternoon, and and also, um, please big big thumbs up on the YouTube channel. Make sure you like and subscribe because today is Lou's birthday. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I we'll be turning round of applause uh, for Lou for the second time. Lou's turning twenty-one for the second time. He says, "Yeah, I just had my first champagne. Thank you." <laughs> Wait, no, for real though. How, how are you? Thirty-one. Thirty-one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. 31. Congrats. Big 3-1. Yeah. yeah. So I heard the 31 is the new 21, so I'm just going to stick to that from now on. Well, like every birthday from now on doesn't exist. <laughs> so this is an amazing episode, an amazing thing that we've, we're doing because, first off, thanks to technology, we're able to do this live um, and make an event out of this. Um, but Lou and I, we've been doing the podcast together now for... Almost two years. Almost two years. August will be two years. And I've been doing the podcast for about a year before that. Yeah. So we're going into year three or year four. We're going into year four of the podcast. Mm-hmm. 
because I started it in the summertime, 2019 or something like yeah. that. So we're we're going in year four. We're finishing up year three. Yeah. So three years of the podcast has been alive. We've hit major major accomplishments. We're the largest music production podcast in the United States and one of the biggest in the entire world, um, which is crazy. There's many other bigger music podcasts uh, than us, but as far as music production goes, very niche topic, relatively speaking. Um, we're like number one in the United States easily and number one, like one of the top in the world. I don't know if we're number one in the world, but that's something to celebrate through. But. Yeah. Um, and our numbers, our numbers are crazy. We're not doing like... Uh, what is it? A couple hundreds of millions, like Seth Rogen is every day, but uh, whatever his numbers are. Um, but we're we're hitting for such a niche, small audience, a niche topic, and a small potential audience here. Um, we have over half a million downloads, um, and we did this all like the average. I think like average podcast downloads for the first year is like thirty-two, and we're getting close to like thousands each like more, many thousands on each episode which is like yeah. really really awesome we're like in the top one percent of all podcasts that exist also youtube subscribers versus podcast listeners is very different yeah there's a lot more like purchase power and within a podcast listener usually podcast listeners are much higher educated and making more income statistically speaking so, so each, to yeah so they each yeah. like podcast yeah. listener is like worth like 15 plus youtube subscribers which is crazy. So our numbers may seem small, but we're actually making a big impact. We'll be going, and a big announcement as well, uh, NAM June 3rd through 5th or something like that. Yep. Uh, everybody that's listening to the podcast, listen to this episode. I'm going to make a bunch of announcements as well. On one of the days during NAM, yet to decide, in front of the Autotune and Terrace booth that Lou will be participating in, yep. um, we're all going to meet up and hang out at NAM and kind of do a whole like mixing music podcast get together type thing so we're really really excited like this is oh, crazy yeah. this this whole thing was just like i started a company that was about podcast marketing and i was the only one of the owners that like have never had a podcast myself so i was like this is just for fun and experiment and now it's turned into like an awesome community so big shout out to y'all yeah it. this is crazy this is crazy um so we'll just get right into it uh we're we're really welcoming questions right now so honestly if we can stretch this out for three hours with just questions and conversations i mean lou and i we now we can say we like go on tangents and talk out loud professionally so like yeah. we can we we can have one question and take up three hours if we wanted to but uh yeah if you want to stop me at any time raise your hand ask a question if you want to know his underwear color his what what my underwear color <laughs> i mean you said any questions but yeah, well, that's kind of, this is a super nonchalant, easy format. Like, it's super duper easy. Um, but let's do a little shout out for everybody here. Do you want to, um, everybody, uh, you want to do it here? I, I don't know. So we can get on the camera. I'll get out of this chair. Everybody in a row, sit in my chair for 10 seconds and look at the camera. And, and introduce the Lou name. And introduce yourself with a new Lou name, with a Lou name. So yeah. start the podcast over. This is the Mixing Music Podcast. And then say a Lou name. Here you go. Dami, you first. Okay. No time to think about it. No time. All right, Dami, let's see your intro. Dami looks great. Como tal, everyone? I'm Dami Villegas. I'm here with LL Lou J. Okay. And you're with the Mixing with Music Podcast. Yay! <laughs> All right. Jay, and let's go. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. We're going to do this for like 15, no, <laughs> 15 hours. <laughs> What's going on? 
My name is Eric. I'm a song singer, songwriter, and freelance mixing engineer. My phone number is 206. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My home address is. Can, I'm just kidding. You can slide. Sorry, I, I can't give that out, but you can slide my into my. You can slide into my DMs if you want. Take your chances. I can't think of a Lou name. You, DK took the good one. I noticed he always gives you a Lou name. What is it? Uh, how about Loomingdale's? Okay, that sounds elegant. We'll go with yeah. Loomingdale's. Looming. Yeah, so. the Coke Factory. Oh, like Blo- Bloomingdale's. Okay, I got yeah. it. Anyways, that's my time. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, what's good? Uh, my name's Trey. I'm a, a mixing engineer from Australia. Dope. Um, it's good to be here on the uh, in the mix podcast. I'm here with Louis Louis, my good old mate Louis. Louis Louis. Uh, it's good to be here. I'm king. <laughs> hey, come on down. So the name is right. Hey, you're you're walking into our summer. You're going into your winter. You're skipping your yeah. winter for our summer. No, no, I'm going back for winter. So. Oh. No. <laughs> I know. What's good, everybody? My name is Don. I go by the name of Holistic as a producer. Out here with Illuminati. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, just happy to be here and be a part of this. Congratulations, by the way. Nice day. All you guys' success. and yeah. Boom. Here we go. We got another... Illuminati. What up, what up, what up? It's Nightmare. That's my Instagram, I-T-S-S, Nightmare. I'm here with Master by Luger. Okay. Uh, in the Mix <laughs> Studios podcast. Be on the lookout for me. All right. <laughs> I wonder if Lex is going to hit me up about that. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. This is Derek. I am a songwriter and engineer from Utah. And I'm here with Mr. Looney Tunes himself. All right. <laughs> Welcome to m- mixing music. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. These are good names. We need to see yeah. all of these. Yeah. Uh, Ian, if you're watching from abroad, you know. Because I think he's in Vegas today on a Wednesday. <laughs> Yo, what's up, guys? My name is Julian. I'm a songwriter, an artist, and a producer and i'm here with lou the truest oh uh i just want to congratulate you guys just like being so active in the community it's just it's just really like makes us feel belonged in this family oh so yeah yo thank you (laughs) hey yo what up fam (laughs) it's maddie mattress i'm here with my co-host my dark lord lucifer (laughs) Sucks. <laughs> Come up with another one. You have 10 seconds. <laughs> I like Jay's response. And you're listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. And for anyone um, that's not watching, just listening with audio, I'm drawing MM with like my <laughs> with my Disney glow stick. Oh, do you do the bunny? <laughs> I mean, the, the mouse ears? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's mouse ears that um, are shaped like an M, like the golden yeah. arches. Yeah. Being the mix arches. But uh, yeah, stay saucy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jane. Now you got to follow up what he stole from you. You got to outdo the stealer. What up? I'm Jane, all the way from Germany. I'm here with Ludacris. (laughs) 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 Nice to meet you, everybody. (laughs) All right. All right, all right. So, uh... (laughs) 
Belly hit the mic. I'm a, I'm apologizing. I'm sorry for being so big. Um, welcome to the Mix and Music Podcast. JN just stole mine, but I will say it in the voice still. What's up, Luda? Yeah. Hey, man. We out here right now. You know, I'm getting into the mixing engineering. Thanks to my main man Lou here mm-hmm. and DK. Uh, very gracious of them to take me in, and I'm also doing production and sample packs coming soon. Check the website. Check the Instagram. We out here, baby. Mix and music. <laughs> Cool. All right, we got Ganny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. This is Ganondorf. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nadeg. I'm an engineer here at Indonix Studios. And, uh, oh, this is Lewith. Lewith is a good one. That's, a, that's your uh, Pokemon yeah. name. <laughs> that's my God given Pokemon <laughs> name. And uh, this is In the Mix Studios. Whoa. We got the baritone radio announcer. <laughs> Um. All right, and I'm DK. All right, so we're we're just gonna go right into this. That was fun. We have a bunch of people on um, on Twitch as well and on the live streams. Um, Once again, we want to thank everybody for making this possible. Um, Honestly, we we made this like a ticketed event, but that just like paid for the food. That's all it really was. We would make this totally free if possible. In fact, we should next time. We should, Um, but. uh, yeah, once again, totally, totally thank you. Who's who's planning on going to NAM? Anybody planning on going to NAM? Boom. What's, what's that? Yeah, what is NAM is the National Association of Music Merchants where every man, uh, manufacturer tries to get a booth and tries to actually show off the latest products that aren't even released yet. It's essentially the Las Vegas car show, but for music. When is it? So, yeah, or, or like it's short for like normal animals and manly men. I thought manly monkeys. Manly monkeys. That's what. <laughs> but um, it's uh, this year. It's actually going to be in summer in Los Angeles, technically Anaheim Convention Center. Oh yeah, but, it was winter. Um, yeah, it typically is in Los Angeles during the winter. Typically the last uh, two weeks of uh, January, but uh, because of the pandemic, there was no winter Nam. So summer Nam is normally held in Nashville. This year they're moving it to L.A. LA just has a bigger demographic. Sorry, Nashville. I thought you had to be invited to it. You do and you don't. See, I think this year, somebody? I think this year, I, I have a couple friends that were trying to get in. Um, you should look on their website. This year, I, I saw that, I heard that it's pretty open. Yeah, they're doing some general tickets because they're trying to get a uh, population back for it. Um, typically, you'll see about 10,000 people per day at the event. It's a huge um, it's event. It's like the Anaheim it, Convention Center. And it it's takes not up just one thing. building. It actually takes up two complete convention center buildings. It is. Uh, it's um, like June 3rd through 5th. You're just going to have to check their website to figure yeah. it out. I'll be there the 4th and the 5th uh, working for Antares uh, as a brand representative for their Autotune products and their new samplers and everything. And not, not, I'm not going to say anything. And that's, that's, that's how we met as well. Actually, that is. That is actually our uh, anniversary location. If you want to meet there and, you know, uh, look lonely and I'll come up to you and lonely boy. So, yeah, basically, that's that's the story. It was my first name. It was my first thing ever. Just started the podcast. It was already doing really well, but it was still brand new. So nobody knew who I was. There's a few people that came up to me, but um, sponsored by Antares as well. Shout out to Antares. Yeah. Shout out and, to Henrik, our main man. Yeah. There. And, and Autotune, the boys at, at Antares and Autotune. Um so because of that, I was hanging out with Henrik over at the booth, and Lou saw me just being by myself while I was waiting for Henrik to show up. And Lou came up and talked to me, and he's like, hey, why are you looking so lonely over there, sad boy? boy. And then uh, and then that's how we met. And 
started DMing. He was like my only contact out here. So I came out a few months later and just took Lou out to dinner and actually brought dinner to your family. It was actually really out. funny. Uh, so it started off as me saying like, hey, we should check out this fuss spot. And then we started arguing on who was going to pay. Yeah. Classic, right? Yeah. So about not like you're gonna pay. No, no it wasn't no, that. No, no. It was. It was. It was I'm like, gonna pay. No, I'm gonna pay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and then that worked out, and we were just jokingly like, "Huh, let's start a studio together." I moved out here in July 2020. June. June. Sorry. No. No. July 2020. I moved out here July 2020. Did we get a s- open the studio aug- with you August 2020? The next month, within 30 days, we had or- already opened this spot. We we now literally came into this room July 28th. Yeah, and now we're a year and a half into this studio, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, August. So big, well, think about big it. We're only three that. months away. F- uh, four months away. That, that was a week clap. Sorry, y'all. Yeah. Oh, I lived in Utah the last five years. Five years before that. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was very different. <laughs> the, the furthest from it. <laughs> Definitely. That's the state where like these alcohol companies were complaining that they had to water down their alcohol and make less alcohol content. Because they didn't, they didn't sell full alcohol content beer in, uh, at grocery stores. What was the actual percentage? So like, they I just stopped selling beer in the grocery stores in Utah at one point. They're like, we're not going to make a special product just for your state anymore. I think they like lifted that, though, while I was there. Gotcha. I, I don't remember the whole story. I don't drink, so like I don't really know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It was it was very different moving from small city out here. The point of the podcast was to be like almost like a journal or a diary, just making sure that like I'm on my shit and I'm, I'm still progressing and working and I'm like checking in with myself um, and like talking about things that I learned during the week. And then it slowly became much more than that and it's incredible how like it's probably the same thing with you like i get dms multiple dms every single day and some of them are like really like really awesome in the sense that like i have to take a pause and really appreciate that moment when i get texts from people where like it changed their life or one way or another like Mm -hmm. things are better with their family because of it and and whatever it is, like I did an episode recently with my wife and I had a lot of great feedback on that and how it's helped people. And it's just, I just really didn't expect for this to become something so awesome, uh, so helpful, more importantly. And I'm really glad that it did. Um, I, we're just trying our best to give back as much as we can and provide value in a scalable way. Um, we just appreciate, I think it's crazy that anybody listens and thinks that we're authorities of anything. Um, but I appreciate anybody that thinks that. So thank you so much. I do want to share champurrado with the world so I can be an authority on that. (laughs) Isn't that lumpy hot chocolate? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It's literally made with flour. There you go. There you go. Champurrado. 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 Anytime Christmas is coming, I'm like, my diet goes away. Also, if you're watching right now, uh, if you've been listening for a while, maybe you know that I'm actually Japanese uh, and Lou is, is of Mexican descent. Um, and yet somehow, if you're watching on YouTube or on Twitch, which you should subscribe to us on YouTube. Or Twitch. Uh, or Twitch. Uh, I look significantly more Hispanic than Lou does. <laughs> and I just don't look Hispanic. <laughs> like, I, my nose doesn't even look Hispanic. <laughs> and, and somehow, I guess I do, or something. Just not... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, like I'm I'm first generation American. Like uh, three of my blood sisters were literally born in Mexico. My parents migrated from America, uh, from Mexico, from America. Yeah, we migrated to the same spot. Yeah, um, but I was the lucky one that was born out here and got my education out here. Um, yet, uh, yeah, I don't look anything Mexican, and yet all my sisters do. So I don't know what the fuck is going on. Maybe like the location in which I was born dictated my pigment and everything. Like. <laughs> Like, it's like, oh, he was born in Lancaster. God says, make him white. <laughs> make him translucent. <laughs> oh, translucent. <laughs> translucent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, so but funny. yeah, if you guys are watching, that, this is you comedy. That was good. That was good. I, like I said, I get some, and the other ones just fumble completely. Just. <laughs> So my dad is a uh, white American, but I was born in Japan, and I guess that would make me an immigrant. My father, my mother is full Japanese, Okinawan. Hmm. I'm okay, I'm from Okinawa, yeah. right? And yeah. then I moved out here when I was like four or five. So, does that make me an immigrant? I think that makes me an immigrant. Technically, technically you did migrate. And uh, to be fair, Japanese is my first language, but apparently, um, I understand. Like, it's very surprising to me that I don't have a Japanese accent, although uh, I can fake one really, really well. The funny thing is, I actually had Spanish as my first language. And so I'm also English second language. There you go. There you yeah. go. And we still no accent. That's a, that's a good idea. So right now on Twitch, if you watch if you watch the stream, you get points, and you can spend the points on different like, like sing rewards. So like one of them, the highest no no the second highest rated point one is like three thousand points is sing mode right, which people mm -hmm. have activated multiple times on the Twitch stream, they which means it. I have to start singing everything. At one point, it used to be Japanese mode, and I would speak Japanese for 10 minutes, but nobody understood it, and I lost anybody that was watching during that time frame, so it didn't work. I should do a, a heavy Japanese accent. So it's it's still English, but it's a very Japanese accent, just like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, J. Cook redeemed sing mode. Oh, shit. Wait, and sing mode? Oh, shit. <laughs> Welcome to the Mixing Music Podcast. The Where funny we sing our lectures. Mm. Uh, <laughs> okay, this is Hannah just Mons. so awkward every single time. But we're going to do it. And I'm going to look each of you in the eye. <laughs> no. I will do it as intensely as he will. <laughs> F you, Jake. All right, we're going to move it. <laughs> oh, wait, can you sing uh, Mixing Music can I sing? Oh, karaoke style. Uh, okay, got it, got it, got karaoke, karaoke, like some made-up intro of the mixing music. It's a mixing music. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just, there's no, and nothing in Japanese ever ends in a constant. So it's, for example, like, uh, like, if I would say in Japanese, like when I taught English to Japanese, in, to, in Japan, I would teach people like I'd be like purple. They'd be like, "Huh?" I'm like, "Purple, huh?" Papadu, oh, papadu, oh, yes, yes, yes. I like papadu. They're just really bad at it. They're really bad at learning it. Somehow I came out unscathed. Uh, but my mom, 
Poor thing. <laughs> my wife is actually pretty good too. If you listen to the no, episode really with my good. wife, yeah, she's really good. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty good. She's pretty good. Um, but yeah, maybe that's what I'll change it to instead of sing mode, just like heavy Japanese accent and like angry Japanese man too. Like, what are you doing? Oh my god! Please uh, don't open my door. Your your voice persona inspiration should be the male voice of the nani plugin. Huh? The male voice of the Nani plugin? Yeah. Just distorted. <laughs> That's what the Oh no, you haven't seen the commercial then. Oh no, I haven't. Yeah. Oh yeah. The CEO definitely. comes on and it's like uh, super super heavy Japanese accent uh, and it's very like deep and manly. It's like hello. Maybe I should do voice acting for like really poor Japanese English. I could just do that. Because my I will that say that my anybody that's listening right now that does actually speak Japanese or understand like has family members with bad accents, my bad accent is on point like it's a good bad accent <laughs> it's like it is so on point um anyway we're gonna take questions now cool. so we'll whatever we want to talk about gear about business about clients about audio about shoes and this could be super per- personal too like how we can help you with your business with your clients um this is not general questions we can make this personal as well as long as you're willing to share it on the live stream that's all it is yeah so uh raise your hand and we'll stop you yes Boom. Because um, I heard a lot of us, we do, you know, a lot of us start doing this on the side or we're freelance or I'm, like me or whatever. Um, what do you guys think now versus like 10 years ago, right? Do you think it's being a DI, DIY artist is viable now versus being on a label? Because when I, 10 years ago when I was in a band, it was like, oh, you got to be on a label and you got to have that money behind you and that, you know, all that to do all the publishing. Versus now you see guys like from my hometown, you know, Macklemore did it without a label you know russ did it without a label so in your opinion is it possible to do it on your own today or do you still think a label's nest like necessary you want to go first yeah so this is a great question first off i want to say that like we're not deep into the whole label situation meaning that like i'm not a and r or like big business ceo within that so i don't know i do know that this year was the actually Labels 10 years ago did not have half the amount of money that they're making now. There's a lot more money in the music industry now than it was a decade ago. Um, thanks to Spotify, actually. Contrary to popular belief, thanks to Spotify and the whole streaming service, people are spending way more money on music than they were 10, 20 years ago. So, yeah. like, up, like, so there's actually, I would, I would have to think... Uh, that it's easy, it's better to sign onto a label now more than ever. And 10 years ago was actually a bad time to sign. That's and but here's the thing. I will say though that whether or not you're signed or you are, you should never ever stop making music and trying to get as big as possible. Because here's the thing with Russ. Russ got big before he got signed and had one of the best record deals ever because he already had that audience. Had had the leverage. I mean, we're talking like Beyonce may have somewhere between eight to twelve percent, and she's a Beyonce. Russ had fifty. That is, it's it's a incredible stupid amount of percentage to own on like your masters and like for things to happen because he had the leverage he was already making money he didn't need the label all the label provided at that point was a system so you should never ever say that i can't get big without a label nah f that like you can get big without a label but i will say you cannot maintain those systems that it takes to continue to grow and reach beyond that without the mass amount of productivity that hundreds of people that know what they're doing can add that a label can. So yeah, no, I definitely think it's a combination of both, but it's definitely not an excuse. Yeah. Honestly, it's a pretty similar response on that. Honestly, 
I've seen artists that literally have no platform that can actually pay their bills day and night and actually still tour and work with big artists. And the big example of this is a lot of writers. A lot of writers just have a manager at most so that they can get into different rooms and all that because the manager can pull their leverage to get into different rooms. But yet the writer's not signed to a label. Half the time they're getting like just a percentage and that's it. But the percentages that they're stacking up by building these relationships and actually putting out records through collaboration is what's getting them more known and a little more credibility within the industry. So when it's time to actually sign them, they actually have a track record behind them. If they already are releasing music on their own with proper like imaging and all that kind of stuff, proper marketing and all that kind of stuff behind them, even if it's low budget, kind of like the band Wolfpack, who does a great example of that, Wolfpack. where it's not the greatest imagery, it's not the greatest quality recordings, but yet they're consistent. They make good music. Um, they make constant co- amounts of content. And yet, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I was told they're the only independent band to ever sell out Madison Square Garden without any label backing. Um, that in itself is just proof that an independent artist can push far. But does it require you to book with a label and all that? I'd wait as long as I could personally until the deal is right. But it's kind of like what DK was saying. The only reason that Russ actually had any leverage is because he was consistent. So it's one of those things that, again, like I don't want an excuse. I, I will. There's one thing that I should feel like I should be a hard ass about. And and that's this. We have enough people out in the world that are saying, all you have to do is be consistent. You're good enough. You're getting better. Um, just just have to wait it out and be patient. I'm going to be the hard ass and say, honestly speaking, quality does matter and most people is ass. Like, And not ass, but I mean, like, if you're not getting attention, if you're not getting streams, you need to be better. And like, you should work at always being better. How can you expect anybody that's only been doing music less than a decade? Like we know these people that are out there, they've been doing it for decades and they still haven't mastered their craft or whatever it means to master your craft. How can you expect to be viral and huge in five to 10 years by yourself? That's impossible. Just work on it, get better. And, and no, you, some, I don't believe in talent. I believe in hard work. Mm-hmm. And, and some people may have, uh, the perfect pitch ear whatever they still can make shit music it doesn't matter anybody can make music but you just have to be self-aware be humble and keep getting better and they will come to you they will find you um you just got to keep working as if they're not there but recognize when they come it's a good opportunity to take potentially yeah even if you do get screwed it's potentially still worth it What would you say are some tips as an artist to, be, uh, to picking a team and kind of forming a team? Ooh, I like this one. Uh, honestly speaking, you could ask DK, you could ask anybody when it comes to me picking a team. I'm very selective about who I keep around me because I want to see honest intention in action versus what they promise they can do and what they say they can do. Because I've seen many times where people select their team based off of somebody's credentials but their credentials don't actually equate to anything that they actively do. Even if it's a credential that they got yesterday. You know, I, I got a song that uh, I produced a song for Antonio Brown and Keisha Cole last week. Um, but I'm, I don't tell anybody, oh, I'm a music producer. No, I can produce. I can do that. Doesn't mean I'm actively trying to do that. If you choose a team member that says, oh, yeah, I can produce your music. That's great. But like, do you actively put time and effort into it? Like, like, what are you doing? Because I really want to take this seriously and I want the people who take it seriously to be with me. But if they say they're serious about it, but you never actually see them do it, that's not a great team member just to start with. So I'd, the first thing I usually look for is people who take action, not people who say they take action. 
Yeah, so this is interesting, right? So you have, obviously, the two most important things are if they're able to execute on a job. For example, it's probably not a good idea to ask your neighbor Bob to manage you as an artist and be your tour manager <laughs> if they've never booked shows before. Yeah. So it's partially the actual logical, can they do the job? Are they experienced with the job? Um, and another thing is, do you trust them, right? Yeah. Obviously, the emotional side of it. Here's the deal. None of this matters because... Again, going back to leverage thing, so for you, Dami, right? If you're trying to be an artist, um, instead of going out of your way to have sacri people sacrifice for you, you want to build enough leverage and do everything on your own and do such a good job. And I'm not saying do well does not mean get a lot of streams. Do well means everybody sees that you're busting your ass. Because I will believe in people when I see them working hard and they have good ethic. And yeah, their music is good too. Like, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. So if I see you busting ass and you're doing everything on your own, you're doing your own tours, you're working really hard, you're doing everything that you can, I will then, uh, then you're, all you're looking for is people that have this experience, have that emotional background, um, that want to invest in you. Now, yeah. I'm selfishly invested in you. I think you're going to blow up. With my help, I think I can blow you up, and that'll make me look good. So I don't think you should look for a team member until you've actually put in the work to make people want to work with you. Because the last thing that you want is someone with the experience, someone that you trust, and it all breaks down because they didn't trust you at the end of the day. They didn't trust you. You may have trusted them, but they didn't trust you. So that's the worst thing. And then now they're going to ask for money, and it's like you have no leverage anymore. It's like you have to pay them to work, and they might not do it because they're doing it for money, not because they want to see you win. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's like I would recommend anybody that's looking for help because you eventually do need help. In order to scale as an artist, you're going to need management of some kind, someone that manages a tour, someone that manages streaming, and you're in, whatever it is, right? But have them come to you by you just hustling the shit, out, like hustling so damn hard that they want to work with you. Like force them to work with you. Like in, in like, like with your work ethic, like show them that you're the best option. And that's yeah. like, that's when you start finding good, solid team members that are actually worth a damn. Now, don't let it go to your head in that same notion, because if it's if the goal is to make people want to work with you by being the best and everything else cannot be around that. It's like sometimes you got to learn to play ball and collaborate. Yeah. 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 That's the a pack, good point. Yeah. The lone wolf always dies. The pack will survive. You need to have a team yeah. and you got to be humble. Yeah, so you could do it alone for a while. Just remember that it you can only scale so far on your own. And at that point, you need to have team members. And to be honest, uh, one thing that, like our sister studio friends, uh, Forever the Family, what they're really good at is building relationships, saying like, hey, we build each other up. We give each other access to each other's resources in order to build each other up. And in this way, they've actually been able to put on big events. They get vendors and everything that don't charge them a vendor fee and all that kind of stuff just to show up to events and all that because they're actually using each other to create content and blah, blah, blah. It's a very mutual relationship that they have. If you can find people that honestly want to work with you and it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, they don't really like my genre of music. It's like, that's cool. It's it's like when you ask other people, who's your top five artists? If I ask everybody in this room, top five artists, it's going to be five different things every time. You might have some mutual, but that's not really what you're after in the team, right? Like you want to be mutually invested in all the same uh, information and goals. Everybody wants to succeed, but like, how can you help each other out? So just worry about building a pack where you mutually respect each other and want to help each other. Because it can't just be they want to help me. You have to want to help them, too. Yeah. Cool. Yes, Narek from the from the Twitch stream. Yeah, 
Joe Bob Stanton? How important is using a template when mixing songs? So I'm trying to repeat your question so people can hear it in the recording. Yeah, like make sure I don't know if you can hear your own voice in the in the in the stream, but it's all right. It's all right. Um, I'll just reiterate one point. It's like how important is a template when mixing a song, and do you have that template with certain plugins, or do you use a template at all? So we literally just recorded an episode about templates. Yeah, literally two days ago. Now I'm not saying that we won't answer the question, but it's a good <laughs> reference point uh, after we answer this. You want to go first? Yeah. So templates are super important for the main idea of of efficiency. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, templates is different from presets. I'm not a fan of presets, meaning that you buy Chris Brown's vocal chain or Drake's vocal chain. Not a fan of that. Nope. Um, but I am a fan of, yes, when I open my session and import my stems, I have routing all figured out. I have my auxes set up. I may not have anything in them. My template is no inserts at all. Mm -hmm. um, and Lou has very simple inserts. Uh, mine's literally just routing. But the whole point is just to save time. Yes, I think it's very important. Everybody should have templates, their own. or more, And also, more importantly, like uh, Tizio talked about in the last seminar here at the In The Mix Studios, um, being able to build your own on the spot because you understand how the routing works. Um, that's, that's also super important. So, yeah, it saves me a lot of time when I have a template. Uh, no, I do not have any set EQs or compressors on any of the tracks or even reverbs in my buses. They're still totally empty. Yeah. Um, but I'm just planning on using them. Cool. Yeah, kind of same notion on my end. Realistically speaking, the whole point of the template on my end is just I just need to be fast as fuck because most of my work is like uh, working with these artists in different major studios. They're paying $3,000 a day for an eight-hour day at that studio. We may be at Record Plant, Paramount, uh, Woodshed. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is that when they're in the vibe – like I'm looking at the clock and how much they're paying me and how much they've spent to be there and every last minute counts and every last second of their vibe can't really change and at the very least I can't be the one that killed the vibe so I need a template that I can actually work fast load up my track know that the, if I change the autotune on one it's going to automatically change to the rest and my routing stays the same now as far as EQs and all that kind of stuff and this is about recording right uh, not even talking about the mixing template but um on the recording template, the reason I don't leave static EQs, I do have an EQ on there, but there's no change to it. it all, all my plugins on it are just the stock Pro Tools plugins. It's just the EQ, de-esser, and compressor um, at default. So no compression, no de-essing, no EQ. But it's because at every song that you record, at, it's going to be a different key, which means the actual frequency content of the song, whatever the resonant notes are different. Whatever your vocal cords are doing when you sing certain phrases or whatever is going to change where those like, okay, there's a little bit of muddiness around here because he's very resonant here. If you sing a lower note, it's going to shift downward. So having a static EQ preset is actually one of the most oxymoron things you can do. Not that it's a bad thing. It's a good starting point, but just make sure that you change it every time. If you think it's going to work for every song, it's not. And it'll probably make some songs sound better and some songs sound worse. Now, with that said, as far as the mixing stuff, just like DK, my mixing template is actually everything's off. There's nothing, not even a reverb on it, but all my routing is perfect and I know where everything is. All my all my side chains are named and available, so when I do use them and I want to side chain something to a compressor, I have those side chains available and they're named like lead vocal side chain, backing vocal side chain, whatever. But that's just so that once I get 
the idea like, oh, this is where I want to take the song. I can just move fast and I don't have to create tracks. I don't have to do anything. I can just add what I need to add. And it, you know, you can mix a song in an hour if you do it like that. But if you had to start creating the routing every time it takes you two minutes to add this, add that, that's two more minutes for each thing that you had to do. You might have spent an extra 30 minutes having to reroute things every mix. And if you got to mix four songs in a session, that's two hours you wasted. Um, but no, no, every song is different. Every artist is unique. Even on a single album, uh, we could say like the Lucky Day album that came out. Uh, what is it? Candy Drip? Every record sounds different. They all have a similar sound. Yeah, that's true. There's a similar amount of bass. Yeah, that's true. But every record's a different key. Every record's a different tempo. And not one of them sounds exactly the same. There is a vibe, but that vibe is the only thing that matched. I bet you anything, every single EQ on every single vocal on each track is different. There yeah. you go. So I got a question today. Sure. When tracking, right? So I've... I've run across the situation when tracking an artist, I may have to add an aux on um, the track I'm recording on mm -hmm. so I can boost their levels. Is that something that you have already in your recording template? Or? So I do the opposite route. So the question was, in case it wasn't fully audible, is that do you, is it required to create an aux to actually make the vocal louder when recording when they can't really hear themselves as much? Um, I actually have an opposite route of that. I actually turn the music further down. Okay. Yeah, reason being is like anytime I actually start a recording, first thing I do is I don't look at the two tracks final loudness and I don't look at the meter. I just look, is it limited to hell? Cool. Take it 10 decibels down. Clip gain that track immediately down 10 decibels. Don't turn the fader down because whatever plugin you add is already getting that fully limited signal smacking that plugin. And chances are that plugin's not going to sound great now. But if you were to take the clip gain and clip gain it down 10 decibels, you're already within a range of a healthy vocal recording's volumes. Like, if you were, let's say, going to be around minus 14, minus 16, minus 18 vocal tracking level, and you take the two track down that's been limited to hell to around like minus 8, minus 10 on the clip gain, you're already at a volume where like the vocal is actually just a little bit louder than the two track. You might actually have to bring the two track back up a little bit. But it's better to have the music down than to have to completely distort the vocal loudness and their headphones and everything. Cause the idea for me is I want them to hear themselves as clear as possible in their headphones, even if they're trying to go to max volume, but like at least the music's not distorting, at least the vocals not distorting. And at least that way they can hear what they hear. So when they come back into the room, it's not like, well, why does it sound different in my headphones? You know? Um, but that's what I would do. Just, lower the music and that will give you all the headroom you need to make sure that you don't have to distort the vocal on the way to the headphones so to follow up on that mm -hmm. i have an artist that needs the music loud get a louder headphone amp i promise you this i took uh so keisha cole is really really dope artist and you know she's a singer singer right uh -huh. so most singer singers um they'll sing quietly at one point and they'll belt loudly on another so sometimes they really don't hear themselves over the two track and that's just okay what I ended up doing is like before we were recording with uh, a PreSonus HP60 headphone amp, and they, those got pretty loud. But when you have to run a headphone uh, signal through like a long cable, it kind of drops in volume uh, the longer you go because uh, the amplitude is kind of lost over time. But um, what I ended up doing is buying a Little Labs um, Monotor. Uh, it's not monitor, but Monotor. Um, that thing can get so damn loud, I've blown up seven headphones. If anybody needs to get louder than that, they're deaf. 
So I say it in the sense of like, I wouldn't risk your quality of recording or experience. I'd just get a louder headphone amp. And the monitor, I promise you this, it's it's quite the eye opener. It's um, This is not a product sponsor or whatever, but like it's hands down the best headphone amp I've ever heard. No interface has ever given me anywhere near as an experience as that headphone amp. Um, even on my mastering converter from Lynx, uh, the Hilo, which is like rated as one of the best converters on the market right now. Um, it's its own headphone amp still doesn't stack up to it. The Monotor from Little Labs. Jonathan Little is a fun guy to party with, too. If you see him at NAM, offer him a drink and tell him, let's go to the bar. I promise you, he is one of the best guys to talk to. And he loves to talk shop. That's cool. Yeah. Little Labs, Monotor. Yeah. Yeah. Just sometimes just client experience dk knows this i talk about this with everybody here i'm all about client experience and sometimes yeah you're right they do want to get louder so sometimes the answer is to invest in a louder amp also side note um pro tools users the shortcut for clip gain up and down is control shift directional pad up and down Control shift down will turn them down depending on your settings. So mine is set to half dB, half dB increments. I'm in one decibels. Yeah. So yeah. and then he's in one dB increments. So you can just turn that down. So control shift and then da 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 down, and that'll turn the clip gain down. Yeah, yeah. and I do like 10 to 15 dBs down of the music too when importing. Yeah. Yeah, Julian. Uh, so with your background as like with immigrants and all that, um, how was your family like? Were they supportive of it or were they like? Um, oh, I think both of us can answer this one. Yeah. So to just to just in case, I don't know if the audio is coming through. So uh, Julian was saying um, immigrants, what's it like with your families accepting our careers and stuff? So I think it's a little bit different because I'm Asian. Um, and yes, the stereotype of Asians not doing lawyer or doctor is true, <laughs> <laughs> especially. But I think that's such a general immigrant thing. First off, I think it is pretty pragmatic for a family to want their children to do that because in one generation you can have honor, you can have um, income, and like, and you can have a name for yourself. Like, so in one generation you can flip your family around from poverty to a place of status. So yeah, it is pragmatic for any of your children to become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Um, uh, culturally speaking. Uh, I do think it's a little intense, and if I were to ever start a nonprofit, it would be specifically to let all the Asian immigrant children know that they don't have to do that. <laughs> It'd be like, you can do a creative thing too, and it's okay to be poor. I think that, um, I don't think down, I don't, hmm, I don't want to curse anyone with money or the idea of having money because just in case, I don't want to stop myself from ever not having money or stop myself from being wealthy, right? But I do think that I will become wealthy because I'm seeking happiness and I'm doing what I'm doing and I do a damn good job. It's not because I'm seeking wealth. And I, and I think that's the big difference that like my parents couldn't get. My dad's white, right? But even him, he just couldn't understand. Like, uh, he definitely doesn't understand. Um, like, I'm okay being poor for the rest of my life. Like, I'd rather live in a box and do this than to live in a big house and become an accountant. Like, cause what is the big house going to do for me? Nothing. It's just going to give me a life full of regret. Like I could have done what I wanted to do. 
So now that's a house, a big old house, just filled with regret rather than a tiny box that is filled with satisfaction. I don't know. That's just, for me, that's just how I was always, always looked at it. So like if anybody listening right now, um, if your parents are giving you shit, um, first off, they love you. That's probably why they're giving you shit. So yeah. they, yep. they probably are coming from a place, but they don't know you and they don't know you that you're their children, but they are not yours. They're just, they're just holding on to you. They're just taking care of you. And, and they're supposed to pass you off. And some parents cannot do that, don't know how to do that. And they become very big Oedipus mother, Oedipus father. Oh, sorry, I'm going to stop talking. Whoa. But uh, uh, I, I don't know about that last part. No, no, I, no, no. I get it. You know, it's funny. They're actually, like overloving, extremely overloving, and, and it, to the point where it becomes hurtful. I actually once played as Oedipus in a high school play. So, yo, not, not, yeah, not, uh, not, uh, yeah. not that in sense. Not, not in, yeah. not in, uh, what is it, incest no, no, sense. No, no, I'm talking no, about yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> In, so, uh, incense, incest, <laughs> not in that sense. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of who gives a shit and just move on. Just do what you love. That's the only thing that I can say. Yeah. Um, there's a part of you. You say your thing. I'm, I'm gonna shut up. You cool. say your thing. Uh, yeah. No. On my end, um, actually, my entire family, mo- I would say, majority of my family was very vocally against it. Uh, which, actually, to be honest, never fueled or unfueled it uh because i'll be honest i'm the i'm a very confident person when i say if i want it i'm gonna have it i don't know how but i will and i don't really care what i gotta do to it for it i'm not gonna do anything stupid but yeah no like i'm not the type i i always knew i wasn't the type to really work an office job i always knew that mundane tasks just fueled more depression than anything so when i wanted to go to school for it i actually asked my parents uh for like a cosign and everything for the you know student loan and everything uh, my dad was like you want to go to school okay you know he heard school uh, my mom heard music and she's like no so i ended up financing my own education and everything uh, which is not the end of the world like that's the same story for a lot of people like not a lot of people's uh family was behind it but as I continued going to school for it and finding jobs for it and working like the late nights, uh, I found myself against uh, quite a few, I guess, emotional walls, which was I was made fun of and ridiculed by my cousins. Um, my mom just always kind of made jokes about it and everything. Like I was never really taken seriously at all for quite a bit of years. And then I started finding some of the successes after literally, like I tell people all the time, like a big factor in why um, I appreciate my fiance so much is because she was for the we're about to celebrate shit, 11, 12 years together. Yeah. No, no. The thing is, like we met when we were 19. Uh, I want to say we officially we celebrated 10, no, nine years when uh, we got engaged. So we're talking about two years later. So 11 years. Yeah, but the funny thing is she was the only one that was actually extremely supportive of it. And I believe that um, against everything else, finding that one person that was supportive made the biggest difference. Because once I started getting my wins, the one time I remember getting like a huge win, which um, ended all of the ridicule. Uh, I got my first plaque. And suddenly it stopped being, oh, Louis just playing with his bands, whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, you guys going to go do this, this and that. Like being ridiculed all the time by family it was very demotivating after a while. But once I got my first plaque, like they actually saw that I took it seriously. They saw I put in the work. 
there were times where even my fiance gave me the option to leave to focus on my career because she saw how much I was working. And it was never like a me or your career thing. It was like, I don't want to be in your way because I see how serious you are about it. And the dope thing is I never chose to leave. And I'm really happy about that because the one person that supported me is the same person that I'm with. Against all odds, if anybody's saying like, yo, like, you shouldn't do this, whatever, just fuck it. Just do it. Do do right whatever is right by you. There's somebody out there who supports you, even if it's on social media. If you post that you release the song, there's probably more people that you don't know or that have never met that are really excited that you put out a song than the people around you. Yeah. I want to I wanna cap it off with this. There's three ideas that are floating right now, and they're kind of all related but not at the same time, so I'm going to pull them one at a time. One is from The Four Agreements, if you've ever read that book. It talks about you should never seek affirmations, including good ones. So if even if it says, basically the book says, if someone says you're doing a good job, just take it at face value. Don't even, like, you don't have to believe them. Just, just okay, and move on. Um, because even when someone says something negative, it can also be impactful. You just don't want to, you don't seek affirmations. You do it because you want to do it. Truly seek within. Another idea um, my wife, when she was on the show uh, in the last couple episodes ago, she specifically said, if I wasn't so s focused on getting what I want, then she wouldn't have supported me. But it was the fact that it was it, I was so focused and I was obviously working so hard and there was never a point of any laziness that came from this, that it was making me a better person and in turn making our relationship better. She never cared. She was very supportive. Um... And the last thing is, uh, as far as, ooh, what was it going to be? I knew this was going to happen. I had three things floating, and it's hard to <laughs> juggle three ideas at once. Is um, um, truly speaking, oh, what was it? Um, probably something along the lines of success. Yeah, do it yourself. Blah blah. blah don't give a shit about it. Other people say yeah. do it. Yeah, something. Yeah, I forgot. Whatever. Either way, it I'll think about it. Like either 10 way, it worked. Literally, make ten times. than what I make in a year in three days and they're fucking miserable. I know people who own literally like five figure monthly incomes off of stock and they are some of the loneliest people I've ever met. DK has experienced this too where I've set him up with a client of mine and coming back he's like, dude, I can sense the loneliness. Like the dude's a millionaire and it's miserable. I'm not saying money brings misery. I'm just saying chasing things just because you can chase the money isn't the way to go about it. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels right for you. It doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. At the end of the day, you know, we we literally live our own life. Nobody's living our life. So what the fuck does it matter what they do in your life? Hold on. I will say, though, you should absolutely be fiscally responsible with no, your own money. No, be fiscally responsible. You should be responsible with your own money. No, like, no, no. pay your do rent. That. Don't go into debt. You know, pay your shit off. But, but if, if the only reason you're doing it is the money, that's the issue. Yeah, and, and you won't last long in the industry. Yeah. Because there's, to be fair, what was it? In 2019, the reports were the entire world, there was only $29.8 billion, uh, $29 billion in money in the entire music industry across the world. Just put it into perspective. $29 billion sounds like a lot, but in the United States alone, tre uh, tech was $1.3 trillion. In the United States alone. <laughs> so... Uh, it's a very, very, very small industry and everybody flaunting wealth, they're faking it because yeah. nobody, there's not that much money in the industry. There's not. Yeah. To be honest, most people that I've had a conversation with that talk about their money, 
you go to like their house or something and you realize like, oh, you really don't have what you've been talking about at all. And seemingly enough, uh, the running joke in the industry, uh, at least for engineers or producers, is like, yo, how is it that like they couldn't afford to pay me more than $50 for the mix, but they were able to buy this chain? Like, I was talking to somebody the other day who said, oh, I'm selling a C800G. I was like, really? How much? They said 15000 And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, if the, if the artist can afford to buy a diamond chain, they can afford to buy this mic. I don't care. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, that's like a matter of respect as it well. It is, it is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Talking, talking about the whole financial thing, um, being a freelance like engineer, like how do you um, how do you make it like comfortable like like in terms of like longevity? Like being like, yes, like each month I'm going to be like able to pay those bills. Like, I feel like there's a short phrase to answer this, but we can expand you, on you it. Could, you do your short phrase. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I think you're going to like this short phrase. What? Live beneath your means. Oh yes, I live love beneath that. your means. Love that one. Uh, I used to live uh, with my fiance in Alhambra, and we actually had pretty cheap rent. And I thought about it stupidly. Um, instead of, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop myself there. I didn't think about it stupidly. I thought about it for my business, where like most of what you see in this room actually was in my bedroom at one point, or in my living room when I was operating out of my apartment. Um, almost almost all of it uh what i didn't spend in rent and going out i reinvested into buying gear and stuff that i thought would help book sessions um to be clear it doesn't make you a better engineer it just makes you a little more attractive on instagram just to be clear it's a very it's a very expensive flex i don't recommend it for everybody at all um but live beneath your means because my rent was so cheap that each one of my mics was more than my rent you know, uh, but this allowed me to be able to invest into my business more. This allowed me to actually have more time to build relationships without having to worry about, you know, where's my food coming from? How am I going to pay for my car? At the time, I was driving a 2002 Civic that I bought for $5,000 and it always gave me problems that it was cheaper than buying a new car. And I didn't buy a new car until I tripled my income. Um, not saying numbers, but like it finally became feasible to pay for a new car. And I did that. I was literally driving an average when I first started of a hundred miles a day, um, in a 2002 civic. That's, that's how I got to and from work while I built my, my income and I was working minimum wage. Um, and I still managed to make it possible. So if minimum wage is not enough, you're living above your means. Um, and I'm not saying that in a very like conservative or liberal, like minimum wage is enough or not enough kind of thing. It's just, I found a way to make it work. You know, I'm sure everybody can, but I, at no point did I buy jewelry at no point did I buy fancy clothing at no point was I going to the beach and doing like $500 date nights or anything. Like, um, I maybe take one vacation every three years, you know, maybe that's too years. little. I will say, I will say no, no, no. that is Travel too little, more, but my goal, my focus, my focus for me was building as fast as I could. And I was doing what I loved, so rest was literally part of my work. I loved what I was doing, so the only goal I had was to not overdo my overhead. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, um, I, I think that most people, um, again, there's very little money in the industry. 
So I think you're talking about freelancer, how to get it more consistent as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But number one thing is definitely lowering your overhead. So uh, that's how most businesses die. So most small businesses die is too much overhead. They take on too much. And then all of a sudden they have an unexpected slow season. Boom, kaput, they're done. Um, so keep your overhead small. In fact, I make it a point where I flex on how little money I spend on stuff. And Dude, you should ask him money. about his groceries. Yeah, like I'll, I'll flex and it's tell you impressive. how little I spend on groceries to feed for two children and a wife. Um, and I'm the sole income provider of my house. Um, I found an apartment that is a few hundred dollars cheaper than the average of what the average was going on. And it was less comfortable, but um, a few hundred bucks a month is a lot of money. You know, at the end of the day, uh, things like that. It's these small things that you may sacrifice comfort, but I mean, we live in a first world country. It's still, no matter how much you sacrifice, <laughs> it's not going to take you down a whole world country. It's not going to, you're not going to live in a second world country, no matter how shitty of a place you're in. So, um, uh, I do think, uh, that's a big, big part of it. Lowering your overhead. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about is branding. Um, mm-hmm. especially for what we do as like engineers, we're freelancers. Why do people hire you, Trey? Instead of mixandmastermysong.com or Lander. It'd be like word of mouth. Yeah, word of mouth. Whereas your value is you. Yeah. It's not your price. Because if it was about price yeah. and just having an end product, they'd pick Lander. Yeah. They'd pick uh, a random $50 fiber dude, $10, sorry, $10 fiber and dude. And they do. And many people do. And they're happy with it. Yeah. That's not your audience. So the best thing to do is invest in your brand. Because mm-hmm. they're coming to you for you, Trey. Yeah. They're coming for me because I'm DK. I could be a shit mixer, and I've been duping everybody this entire time. I've been working on their music, but it doesn't matter because they came to me for me. And so it's my I experience. Think you just gave away the sauce. Yeah. So like literally. <laughs> so literally from the beginning. So like anybody right now that is working a freelance job, if you are not posting on social media, if you do not have a TikTok, if you do not have whatever channels that you want to do, I'm not saying you have to have. Every content on every single platform like some people really don't want to show their face so they're on Twitter and podcasts it doesn't matter what you do but you have to build your brand um, that is the only thing and it's slow but if you are not posting on stuff and you thought about doing it stop get off your fucking ass and do it um, you're losing money and every single time you make a post I know it's silly but you're increasing your lifetime earnings I promise you one time I went live on Instagram for 10 fucking minutes for 10 minutes and I made thousand dollars off of it a couple weeks later like it, it, shit like that happens yeah and so like what what I'm doing now when I'm posting content how stupid however stupid it is I'm just like you know putting putting my bets in lots of tables and making yeah. sure I'm gonna win something and, and so you're increasing your lifetime earnings. So that's the first thing. Now, as far as the cliche classic answer of how to become uh, consistent over time, honestly speaking, that's impossible. Having consistent clients every single time is relatively impossible. By the time you get so consi- so busy that you are consistent, that's when you kind of want to raise your prices to begin with. And then you're starting over again. We're like, okay, I've dropped off some clients. Now I'm less busy, but I'm making the same amount of money. Oh, I'm getting too busy again. Okay, time to raise my prices now. So like it's gonna snowball. Not busy right? and you drop for a little while. Yeah, there you go. And so and there's busy seasons, there's slow seasons. The only way to do this is by uh, diversifying your portfolio. Um, if you like stocks, go into them. If you like making plugins, do that. If I make money from at least ten different things that I could name right now, like and and some months it's all my mixing. Some months 
It's my podcast. Some months, it's because of my online courses that nobody knows they sell. Some months, I make money from my children's book that I write because that's fun and I do that. Some months, it's because I helped a neighbor move and they paid me for it. Some months, it's it's like... At, at one point in my college career, I was giving plasma, and that was like that was my Mike Locker fund. I was buying Mike by gives donating plasma. And, uh, I have so many. I have literally given. That. I have yeah. literally <laughs> given blood. I've literally given blood for sacrificed blood for my microphones or in the early stages. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't matter what it is. Like diversify, Quite diversify your portfolio. Money. Like I literally make money, and and it's small in most other things other than mixing. Like my mixing is my biggest chunk, but I make a little bit from Twitch. I make a little bit from YouTube. I make a little bit, a lot from podcasts. I make a little bit from this, 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 and this. My children's book, my that, and those things add up. I make money because I have shares on three hundred songs on DistroKid, which, by the way, I make like almost nothing from. That's probably I make more from my children's book than that. But, uh, 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 but. It's diversifying. And, and to be fair, it's also setting proper expectations that it will never be consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, that this last month, um, I don't mean to share private information, but uh, I, I take showers with my wife like every night. And that's like the one time where like our phones are down. So we're talking to each other. Um, and so that's like a sacred, you know, 20 minutes of the day where we're just like talking. And yesterday I was like very grateful uh, I, there, I had a very moment. I was trying to explain to my wife how much gratitude that I had because in this last week, I made a certain amount of money. And I was just like, holy crap, like five, five years ago, DK would have never thought that this was possible. And I'm not even that wealthy. It's just like, my, I guess my expectations were low, but it's just like, I just, in that moment, I had so much gratitude that I had something going on. And it's all just a snowball. Like, set expectations correctly, work your ass off, diversify, and just, it's going to suck at first for like the first five to 10 years. And uh, it's slowly going to slow. And after a certain point, you're just, you're not even going to recognize you got there. But one day you're going to be standing in the shower like me and you'd be like, oh shit. Since when have I started doing decent? (laughs) Like that's how it's going to happen. It's not going to be like a decision that you make. It's going to be a long-term Things just started working out. So yeah. hopefully that's that To question. expand a little bit on that, because uh, I know, uh, so the Go-Giver, um, there's two points on it that actually I really like. One of them doesn't get taught on, uh, talked about a lot in it, but part of it is networking. Um, an old teacher of mine in college told me, he's like, if you wanted to actually be successful as an engineer, and you said you wanted to actually find like a great client, well, that client only comes out with maybe one album a year maybe 10 songs so what is the value of those 10 songs and the odds of you being selected for every single one of those songs and being the one that did every single role of that song is so unlikely that you maybe get an average of one song on an album per client Uh, meaning that if you charge let's say 250 dollars per mix and you're not being hired to record it or master it or produce it then those 250 is what you made off of your one client's album cool 250 is not enough to pay your bills even for a month, which means that networking and going out to different events and actually meeting people in person is actually a big thing. Now, a lot of people say when you network, you want to say, hey, come work with me. This is my brand, this and that. But that's true. It actually does help, but it only helps when they actually see the value in it. You got to show them what value you have to offer them and how you can actually help them. A lot of times, when, like we said earlier, when you're doing things selfishly, it doesn't pan out you know you have to actually try to reach out to people and see how you can help them so you can build relationships uh on an average a year like 
I maybe like on a monthly basis, I maybe mix between like 15 and 20 songs. But the day it comes out is different on every single one. Like I had a song last month that came out that I mixed four years ago. You know, but that relationship was because of a relationship I made, built two years before that and this and that. But after doing this 10 years, um, the relationships that I've had the longest and I didn't ask for, I just tried to be the one that was helping people build their career once their career actually built up. Um, good example of this was uh, my friend DJ Ice. Uh, he and Bright Ma signed an artist and they wanted to build that artist up. They asked, hey, like, how much would you help us out, do this artist? We don't really got a budget, this and that. We ended up agreeing on percentage splits and all that kind of stuff, you know? And this happens all the time. You know, that conversation is real. But you say, hey, look, um, if, if you're ever good at something, you should never do it for free, one. And that doesn't mean that a dollar has to exchange hands. It could be points. It could be ownership. It could be equity. You never um, want to do it for free. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can do it for zero dollars. But just take, but take something. something from them. You have to take something, even if it's their ability to help you create social media content. If you don't want to do it, I have a team that does all my content. I don't do it anymore. Um, but with that said, um, because me and Ice actually built a relationship with each other and built trust with each other and actually got to know how each other liked to work. When an artist that he was working with, Boz, got signed to Dreamville, um, Boz brought Ice along with him because of the relationship they built. And because of my relationship to Ice, Ice was offered to work with Ari Lennox, but they didn't want to split the time between Boz and Ice because Ice was Boz's main guy. So Ice called me and he's like, yo, do you want to work for Ari Lennox? And I ended up becoming her personal engineer for quite a few months. We did a bunch of records and I ended up on the Kiana Lede album. At no point did me and Ice ever exchange a penny, but it was the relationship that actually caused the success in my career, which I ended up making thousands. And I like I it, it hit past $10,000, the amount of money that I made off of working with Ari. But this was all because I was willing to provide value to another person and find a way for us to work together. You might not make a lot starting out, but the value you put behind other people's lives it will literally come back for you. for the past three years and then he recently got signed to a American label mm -hmm. and um, I brought up we had like an agreement of like 10% but in Australia um, there's it's a very like different weird yeah. thing for engineers getting points it's like it doesn't exist unless you're a writer producer or yeah they're the artist themselves mm -hmm. so we agreed on this 10% and then once he got signed I brought it up and they were like oh engineers don't get points and I was like yeah, that's not the case anymore. Now, uh, what is it called? Soundcheck or what is it? Uh, oh no, no, it uh, was. Uh, oh, I need to look into this. I'm about to share some false information, potentially false information. Um, so actually, uh, during the Trump administration, um, he actually signed something where engineers are actually supposed to get a percentage now. Yeah, and it's a point. It's in America. It's 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 specifically in America. But yeah, it's a culture that's trying to be developed all around yeah. because it's been a topic for a long time because yeah. there's many engineers that, uh, like DK and I, will get hired for our creative mm -hmm. uh, ideas on how to engineer or mix a record. Um, we'll put in all this work and effort into the actual creative direction of the overall sound, and then we're not credited a percentage or even as creative influences. Yeah. We're just 
given a blue because this is a very blue collar job like DK says in the past it's a high end uh, blue collar job it's a very sure. high end blue <laughs> it's a very expensive blue collar job but uh, nonetheless yeah that's that's something where I tell people all the time if it's not on paper it doesn't matter unless that agreement was ever on paper I'm sorry to tell you but Moving forward, uh, something that Jeff Jackson said on the podcast before, if you've been burned once in the past, put it on your new paperwork and update it every time you get burned. Every time you've been burned on some kind of agreement, put it on paper and don't ever work without that paper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Junior. I wanted to piggyback off of the entrepreneurship questions and the value questions. Sure. And uh, something that we talked about earlier was about the importance of systems. Yes. What is the value in systems, and how do you go about creating those systems in order to uh, give value to people? Take it away, DK, because yeah. DK loves systems. Well, not loves systems, but he's really fucking good at it, and his systems influenced mine. Yeah, so I'm a big systems person, uh, mostly because I am the laziest motherfucker you'll ever meet. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm hitting enter every time someone talks. So I know for editing oh, okay. purposes, yeah. I was like, his finger's on the keyboard. Take yeah, it away. Yeah. Um, so a uh, couple things about that. One, um, James Clearwell in the book Atomic Habits it says, people do not rise to the level of their goals. They fall to the level of their systems. That's what um, it is. So that's a huge quote, and I think that that's really important. Um, what are systems? They could be anything from software that you use and how you organize your emails. It could be your morning routine. It's more Systems are more like habits. Um, that short, like for me, I have systems where I automatically collect email addresses and I have like templates in my MailChimp when I send out mass emails. Those are all systems. I have, I use Trello for my project management and, and trying to figure out what things I need to work on in the order of priority, how far I am in these projects and who's working on them. So it eliminates a whole like, um, back and forth of emails by having just this Trello board, right? So I'm illuminating, I'm making things efficient and illuminating time that, uh, eliminating time that it takes to communicate these things by just having information available on that Trello board. Um, things like FilePass, where clients can't burn me anymore. And it goes back into what Jeff Jackson said, where you're talking about where um, getting burned a lot. Like, I really think we were talking about what does it mean to hustle? So one of, I have one student right now, um, and he's like, one of the first lessons we ever had, he asked me, DK, I keep people hearing, keep people saying like hustle. What does it mean to hustle? And I like thought about it and I don't think this is the best answer, but I think one of them is to uh, like my definition of hustle is accelerate your mistake mess making. So like make more mistakes. The more that you make, the more systems you're going to build automatically. Um, and you're going to protect yourself. You're going to spend less time doing like you will, you will find yourself making systems. It's inevitable when you just get tired as shit doing things. For example, like I really, really hate bouncing. So I now use bounce Butler or like I do like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'll automatically start making systems. So like if you accelerate your mistake making and you accelerate just, just getting tired of things and figuring out how to eliminate them. Um, there's not, there's a few different systems that have actually, uh, I can actually calculate how much money that they've made me as far as like percentage. Uh, when running a commercial recording studio in Utah, when I started implementing, people can pay online and book online instead of having to call me or email me. My my sales went up over fifty percent. Um, another thing as well, when I started doing, uh, and this is 
this is this is varying for everybody, right? But through my experiments, I found out that doing a quote system works better for me, where people email me and I'm adding work. So instead of a checkout, it's this much per song for a mix. They they have to email me and there's a whole back and forth because so I'm filtering out the bad ones because it's worth it for me to for people to filter. I say no to more than fifty percent of my clients. So about no, a little bit less than fifty percent of my clients I say no to, um, but. I filter them out so I make the process to hire me for a mix as a first timer a little bit more tedious so I don't have to say no to them. So like whatever your systems are, um, they'll eventually come. There's nothing specific that you can do necessarily. It's one of those things like marketing. Like marketing is not a set things of set thing that you do. It's more of like a concept. And I think that's what it is with systems too. So for me, waking up in the morning, same time, I don't work on Sundays I don't work. I try not to work on Saturdays. Mondays is for the podcast. Tuesday through Friday is when I mix everything. I do one song a day and revisions. So I do about 150 to 200 songs mixes a year at this pace right now. And so these are all systems. Does that make sense? And those different systems where you're, you're removing the amount of load that your brain has to take, your mental load, by creating these things that are more automatic, those help. Okay, did that, did that make sense? Yeah. 100%. Okay. Sweet. I just like went blank for a moment. Go. Go ahead. So I guess going off of that, what are some bad habits that you see a lot of people fall to, and like how can you? I still have oh, bad habits. What, yeah. what do you? Yeah. Actually, I have a lot of bad habits. Yeah. Um, so some of the bad habits that I see all the time is not actually having a set way of actually maintaining files or proper organization. Mm. Uh, those of you that work for me know how neurotic I am about organization. And my need for that upkeep because my ADHD will rape me. Uh, sorry, maybe that's not the right word, but it's almost accurate. Um, quite literally, um, I have a very specific filing uh, naming system for my folders and projects, as well as the bounces uh, to make sure that everything makes sure my name is credited, this and that, spelled right, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I also have a system for like emails and how to actually proper send, properly send links and all that, make sure that I have a signature that actually says how to properly credit. Uh, I have an invoicing system, like how to actually make sure that they pay the right amount, what they're paying for, what is taxable, what is not. But the bad habits I see all the time is, can you, you can pay me through Cash App. There's no receipt, there's no invoice. So if you ever have to do your taxes, there's actually no track record. Like, where are you actually making your money from? And then suddenly they've send you like a 1099 tax form. You're like, wait a minute. I've been paid 7000 Like, where was all this money? But you didn't actually keep your money coming in into the same spots. Um, biggest thing for me is, like, I'm actually very nutty when it comes to file organization. So much so that, like, DK uses FilePass. I got into FilePass because of him. Um, I have a folder for almost every bounce I've done for the last 10 years. Um, and it literally helps me out so much that... Uh, Junior was here at the studio last week when uh, I was working on that Keisha and AB record. And, um, you know, I was on my way to a production session. I get a call saying I need these tracks for a performance version, this and that. I had to walk through how to do that with uh, Junior over the phone. And then once all the bounces were done, I had them uploaded to FilePass. And then with that same link, I'm actually able to share specific files. And then when I found out that there was still one more issue with it, because I had stems, 
I was actually able to say, cool, I'm just going to go to FilePass, pull these stems, download it at the studio that I'm at, make these edits, up, re-upload it back to FilePass and send them a link to that. Like being able to access my files anywhere and make sure that everything's organized in their folders where it needs to be made it to where I ended up making money off of organization. Just having access to my files, knowing where they are, and that's it. You know, um, but bad habits all the time. I see it in sessions. You send it off to a mixer. They're supposed to mix it, and they're looking at it like, what the fuck is audio 57 dupe one, two, underscore three? Like, I don't know what this is. People will send you stems with that, and you're just looking at it like, dude, I don't want to work with somebody that doesn't take their job seriously. Organization is a quick way for people to actually gain respect for you. No. Yeah, that's a good one. So I would. So before we get into Narek's question from Twitch, um, I want to I want to cap on this try uh, or talk about this as well. So first off, let's define bad habits. Right, going back to the systems mentality, uh, bad habits are things that seem to remove temporarily remove mental load, um, but are hurting you in the long run. They're right? ineffective. For so the for long example, time. like your yeah. body, you wanting to eat a donut every morning, is a bad habit because it's bad for your health, but. Your body wouldn't do that and your mind wouldn't create a habit out of it if it didn't relieve some sort of stress, if it didn't feel good, right? So what are bad habits? And I, and I think these habits are paths, neuron, neuron paths that our, our mind has fallen into that are net long-term bad for us. Um, for example, some people, they really like sleeping in late and working into the night. And that is genuinely how they stay effective. I wouldn't consider that a bad habit necessarily unless it's hurting them other, in other ways that I don't see. But um, for me, uh, waking up late is a bad habit. I have a very different mentality when I wake up too late. I, don't, I can't really start a, like a proper work day. This is really weird. My work day doesn't start until I wear socks. Nice. It's really weird. I'm going to steal really your weird. socks one day. Like when I put on my <laughs> socks, uh, socks on, it's like, all right, now I'm ready to work. I'm ready to... Uh, uh, I don't know what it is. Um had many bad habits over the years um not being able to take critique and hating revisions um mm -hmm. that was a big one i think that helped that talk poorly um i'm still overcoming this um but like making sure that the client everything that i do is a service for the client the client yeah. is the main character in the story not me i'm a supporting character remembering that and communicating that right um other things as well is like not commit, not, not using a calendar. Like I've been using a calendar religiously for like the past five, six years, but there's a point before that, that I wasn't using a calendar. That shit sucked. Um, bad habits. Uh, actually like, that's a big one. Like things that are obviously slowing me down and not helping and I'm not creating them. These are all bad habits and they're very different from everybody else. So then the first step is recognizing what are bad habits and then trying to eliminate them. Not all at once, but one at a time. Think about like 1% better every day is kind of the idea from, yeah. James Clearwater. I think that calendar one though is actually a really important one because a bad habit and a lot of, and we'll, we'll just say it like this, just to make it quick and sweet. How many times do we look at uh, artists when they agree to show up at a certain time and then they're two hours late and they think nothing of it? It's a disrespect of time and everything. If you show up late to meetings, if you show up late to arrange times and everything, it's not going to help you build better relationships. If anything, people just won't take you seriously. So a calendar is probably the most underrated habit to actually yeah, and, develop. And again, I think bad habits and systems are very, very hand in hand. Yeah. And you overcome bad habits with systems. Yeah. 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 Narc. Nautic. Yes. Nautic. <laughs> and uh, we had another question from uh, Joe Robsten. What up, Joe Robsten? It has to do with uh, networking. So it says, 
Other than networking, what value would you put on a professional music schooling such as college or art schools? I.e., how much did you learn in your college classes that you use today? Ooh, I actually so, like so this the one. question is, how much value does a music school have other than networking? Actually, I, I like this one because both of us have very not opposing. I think views. you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, but I think we both agree and disagree. I think that's why I well, like it. What do you it. think? What do you think? I think it has value to those who actually see the value in it and it has no value in your career so for example oh okay that's good so here's the thing no networking means that in this situation the only thing you can get so that means you're like the only student in this program it is you and the teachers and they don't have connections to the outside world so you go into a cave with no classmates, like this. I mean, this is realistically speaking. No, no, I'm serious. No, 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 no. yeah. But so the basically, cave. you go into a cave. They teach you some foreign magic, and you come out of that cave. I think if that's what education is, absolutely zero percent value. A hundred percent of the school's value is based on the network. Oh. It may not be your professors because obviously a part of that is your professors know who to network with and and can get you into bigger internships. But I would say another big part of that is classmates. I make a lot of money from my classmates still, from my previous classmates. Going to school was worth it for my classmates and my professors. It was not worth it for the education. All of that shit, I could have spent more time doing and have gotten a better education if I dedicated the same amount of time going to school as if I had spent the same amount of time watching YouTube and actually having like free clients to work on. That would have been a better education for the craft of engineering and producing than it was to go to school. But it was worth going to school because of the network because of my classmates and my professors. I, I think it was fun. And I learned how to do some specific things like how to run a console. There's some specific niche knowledge, but I don't need to ha know how to run a console to engineer or to, because they have assistants. And I don't need it to, to mix. I'll, I'll become more valuable in the industry, but it's, I would say it's 100%, 100% network. So my answer on this is really- We got uh, another one from NARC after you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, check this out. This is uh, this is my honest answer on it. I still think it's extremely valuable. Extremely. Now, it, like I said, it has no impact on your career whatsoever. It, it really doesn't fucking matter if you go to school or not. Uh, I spent $25,000 on my education, and I enjoyed every penny of it for one major reason. is because I actually, one, you do get access to your teachers. Nobody said you couldn't talk to them. Uh you have a wealth of knowledge with decades of experience and usually they have some pretty good credits and everything literally giving you lessons if you're not meeting other students you have a one-on-one -on -one education experience that's something most people can't even afford um, two an internship does not guarantee what's going on our internship here that we have is such a unicorn in our industry i meet people all the time intern for who, in the mix studios intern for this in the is, mix studios i'm not trying to we're like, a damn good internship or program. downplay no no we're studio. the fucking best i'm not no, 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 no. I, I don't i don't like thinking i'm the best i like to give myself no no I'm, to work. then let me say it on our your behalf we're the best 
be humble and ex- enjoy. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, but realistically speaking, like to, to answer the question, like I've met more people who say their internship was so not worth it that after a year, they're still not allowed to be in the room, that they're not allowed to engineer, that they barely get any time or taken seriously ever, that they're only there big to clean. Big studios. Like We're big talking about brand major. name studios so that, if, that we if know. If the and goal is to. to network, cool, go intern, but you're still somebody's bitch. Um... And I say that if aggressively. It's okay to be that. It's no, 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 okay it's cool, that. but you'll. This is why I also don't call our interns interns in front of clients. Mm. I don't use the word intern in front of clients because there's a different culture around it, mm. and I don't like it. But when you go to a school and you pay for your education, you actually have dedicated time in front of a console to actually bring your friends and record and test everything that you can test. You actually have dedicated time to actually ask all the questions you want to ask, and they can't tell you shit. I have I have devil's advocate on that though. Okay. Wouldn't it be cheaper? How much did you go? How much did you pay? Twenty five thousand dollars. Twenty five thousand so dollars for two. Years. How many hours of studio time could I have spent at NRG hold to on, pay an on. assistant hold to on, teach me how to on. run the you console? You know we know people who went to NRG and didn't even get no, to no, be no, a no, runner no. for six months. You didn't let me hear the answer to the question. As a client, I hire out the studio, mm-hmm. and they're going to have an assistant. There. You get ten days. Okay, I get ten days. Ten 20, days. Twenty five thousand dollars. Uh, well, okay. I get so two years. Now let's go to a smaller studio. Okay. Okay. It's not NRG. That has okay. a console. They're fifty dollars an no. hour. Twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. In front of a console versus going to school for a semester uh-huh. or a couple semesters. As far as like the big difference is the teachers. Yeah. It's not the equipment or the product. It's, no, no, no. It's, it's the it's, so huh? I do think. I just in a sec. School. Yeah. So I, I I would say that. It is a great thing to go to school because there's things you're going to get from school that you're not going to get in the actual real world. Like, yeah. there's things you're going to get from school that you're not going to get in the real world. And some people are more hands-on, too. So having a teacher there that can actually uh, reflect on what questions you may have specifically to what you're doing in your business is great. Um, if I'm, you know, this is great, too, right? This is yeah. a great platform to learn as well. But I think it just goes hand in hand on what you want out of it. Exactly. Because most people that go to school are not looking to be the recording engineer. They're looking for a more refined education. They want to actually ask more in-depth questions. Are you going to sit here and teach me about the intricacies of anti-aliasing chips? Because if not, then you're not teaching me what my teacher taught me. <laughs> if you want to talk converters and how to actually properly uh, but this not, that's anything, not practical. No, though. it is because the reason you go to college is for a higher education, not for an education, for a higher education. So, but it goes back to your own point, which is it's not practical in the sense that it doesn't help not your career, for your at career all. unless you want to go into the technical side of things. Do you want to have a career as a converter developer for audio? So, if it's a specific niche. Not but even specific niche. You want to build microphones. Do you want to learn about oh, I, the design you can build of microphones? Ni- you can build and design microphones without education. Yeah, but education. do you actually get to understand the software and actually how it runs? Yes, my outside, that's how that. I do it. That's how I did it. Yeah. Well, specific because my school my school tried to teach me that, but failed miserably. Granted, to be fair, I'm not against education. Yeah. Um, I actually went to school myself, and I actually came out. Again, this is where I flexed. I didn't spend any money. I came out debt-free. Zero. I spent $0 on school and went to engineering school full ride because of FASA and I was married when I went to school so yay uh, but uh, uh, I'm not against education what I am against is specifically one thing and this is not this is not a surefire answer but 
trying to determine the opportunity cost with the network that's opportunity as available there. For example, like teachers that are willing to do one on one time, totally worth it. Mm -hmm. Niche topics, totally worth it. But if you have to go fifty thousand dollars into debt for a job that doesn't exist, specifically engineering. That's not worth it. No, of course not. That's not worth it. So if you but don't have to, if it's free or if you don't have to go into debt for it or it's like $45 per semester or whatever the hell it is, like you were talking about Nautic, if for community college or if you have a teacher that's like can really help get there and you looked up, you did mm-hmm. research and whatnot, though there's there's small one-on-one-on-one, on one, like one-to-one scenarios, case-by-case scenarios yeah. that are worth it. But in general, I would say unless there's specific case by case scenarios that are worth it, it's not worth it. If to go to debt it for, it's not worth going but into debt. But that's my for. point. See, that's why I said it's two things. It's only worth it if you actually see the value in it. Now that sounds very vague, right? Mm, explain. All right. Explain. This so is good. In your career, it's not going to help. It's not. Nobody's in the ten years I've been doing this with all the. Do you have fucking, a Pro Tools degree? Fuck no, I don't. <laughs> fuck no. You know how many studios I've actually designed from the ground up for major artists? Like I'm the guy that installed the SSL for Chris Brown's house and where he records every major hit he's ever had in the last couple of years. You know how much education I got in that in school? All of it. You know how much I got of that in the real world? None of it. My school taught me that. Now, I'm not saying that. You can learn everything on YouTube and you won't learn the same thing in school Mm. and it'd be cheaper on YouTube. I'm just saying that if you want to actually better yourself, YouTube is a great resource. I'd rather have an actual dedicated teacher that I hand selected. I hand selected the school. We're not talking about general school. Mm. I hand selected the teachers. I actually went and interviewed every school, went to all the open houses and hand selected, chose how much time I get in the studio, chose what type of clients, uh, students are actually going to these. What is the success rate? And I didn't even look at the success rate because look That's at full good. sale. That's actually really good. I actually did my research. I invested in my there education. I didn't spend my money on my education. I didn't waste my time on it. I invested in it. I agree. And if you want to invest in yourself, invest in your education. It doesn't matter where you do it. But is it worth going to school? Absolutely, because my school made it to where I actually made six figures in one year. And that year was so fucking proud because I worked my fucking ass off. And I went to school in the middle of my career. I was already working with Jazzy Faye and Jeremiah and them running sessions out of my own personal studio. I already had success. Yeah, I still chose to go to college. Why? Because I wanted to better myself. Not because the school was going to make any difference. I wanted to be somebody who was more educated and had a more refined palate in this industry. Okay, so I think I think we agree, but we're speaking differently with yeah. semantics here. But um, here's the thing. I think it comes down to this. And this is something that I did not equate for when answering that question. First off, I saw your hand too, uh, Trey. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, but uh, we'll, but we'll, we'll answer we'll, it in a second. Hold on. Let me, let me say my thought before I forget it real quick. Um, uh, is, uh, is that one... Um, I'm not, if you are the type of person, most people are not, and I will admit this, most people are not go-getters. You and I are very much go-getters. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to wait to be taught. No. We will never wait to be taught. I would say from my personal experience that most people, and this is coming from a place of pride and like lack of humility, this is going to sound bad, but I, I, I'm being dead serious in this. In my observation, most people that go to school are the type of people that are to wait to be taught. They're waiting to be taught. And if you are the type of person that has to wait to be taught or pay to be taught, then you are unteachable and you will not learn. Compared to, 
I can't afford the education, so I'm going to hit the books. I'm going to go ask someone. I'm going to go get an internship. That personality will get a lot more education from anything. Because even like acoustics, I'm, I have to be grateful. My teachers did teach me a lot, especially within the science of acoustics, mm -hmm. um, and taught me a lot of things about basics thing that got me into further different things there. Um, and I should be more grateful uh, than I am letting myself out to be. Uh, but definitely, definitely, um, it's one of those things you should definitely get an education. It's only supplemental. Uh, it can only help you. Um, just got to make sure that the coin is worth it. Like, exactly. do your research like Lou did. I think that's like the smartest thing anybody can do when getting a proper education. Because at the end of the day, it's an investment into yourself. Mm. Realistically speaking, the reason we go into an internship once again, is we want to better ourselves. We actually want to grow a career, right? So we can't get paid right away. So if we can't afford school, we go to an internship. If you can't afford school, you start selecting your school based off of what you think is right. Okay, hold on. I have something really important to say. Okay. The classes and the education that, that specifically the education, not the network, the education that has made me the most amount of money was from my economics class, my marketing class, my business class, like nothing to do with music. My music business class. To be honest, wasn't my school good. taught all those. No, no, no. So that's yeah. what I did. That's what I did. Yeah. 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 So it was like, uh, so I had to do, those were part of my generals, and you were allowed to do, like, economics wasn't required for graduating. Yeah. But I was like, I should have a feeling I should learn about this. And I'm so damn glad that I did. That was a tough class, but that was worth it. Yeah. Um, so it was macroeconomics. That was super worth it. Um, advertising was one that was like super worth it. Uh, business, business um, language. English, like mm -hmm. business English. Yeah. It was specifically like English, but like for business and writing, business writing, I think it was something like that. Totally worth it. Yeah. Those were specific where the education alone without the network would have been worth it. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Those, those have, I can, I cannot be grateful enough for those specific classes. Yeah. Though, though, those are crazy. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask you what, what school you went to. Um, so this is going to sound like an oxymoron. Uh, I can say. Don't go to SAE, but go to SAE, but don't go to SAE. Because that's, cause that's where <laughs> I went, and my lecture, well, Australia is different, mm -hmm. but like even my lecturers were like, the industry is so hard, you're not going to make it. Like my lecturers. <gasps> really? They yeah. took away your hope? Yeah. <laughs> like that? There's just, no, you pay so people to take away your hope? Let me ask you this. Let me ask oh, you this. shit. What year did you go? What uh, year did you go? I went. Devastating. 2016. <laughs> that's why. Okay. That's why there was a there was a year. Wait, wait, was this in Australia? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So there was a whole there was a shift in SAE, and I am not the voice of legitimacy behind every detail behind this, but I can tell you as a student who was uh, in SAE during the change, yeah. what happened? When I chose my school, we had an about an. Uh, I counted it, too, because I, I wanted to see, once again, I did a bunch of interviews and spoke with a bunch of teachers. Um, I met with a bunch of the instructors and the lab instructors. And on the lab instructor side alone, there was about 13 Grammys. The company made a shift where they were firing anybody that didn't have a master's. They fired anybody that didn't have a master's. We went down to zero in the course of one month. So as far as quality of lab instructors oh, with wow. actual history and work ethic and actually knew what it took to be part of this industry, they disappeared almost overnight. Mm. And I hated the school for that. And then suddenly a bunch of things started going sideways. Like I used to 
three quarters of my education, I had unlimited access to the labs through bookings as long as they were available. And then it became, you can only book it on unlimited time if it's with if it's not in use within two hours. And even then, like there were so many students, they tried exploding the school so wide that the amount of hours per student started shrinking to almost like yeah. only four hours available. So, so SA so went through timing. a major change and like they screwed everything up and that's why the LA campus closed down. Really? Now, I did not know that. Yeah, but uh, people that I used to learn from to this day are successfully working in the industry, own studios and everything. And the only ones that actually stayed in the education system actually are really good teachers. They put education first and they've built more careers than I know, you know? I'll be honest, like the people that I looked up to the most in my career, even to this day, are my teachers from school. I, I do think that something worth going into debt for specifically with education is self-fulfillment. I think like if you're doing it for self-fulfillment because you want to, I think that's totally worth going into debt for. I yeah. think that's righteous debt to go into. Um, yeah. And I will say the biggest thing with all this, regardless of education, just in career general, it doesn't advice, matter in your career. Like uh, is, is <laughs> it doesn't matter that if you've been doing music for a decade and you find out it's not working out or or you, you're it's going well, it doesn't matter. I think the most important thing, no matter what, is you seek self-fulfillment and seek happiness. Um, if you do that, and by the way, my opinions and our opinions are strong. We're pr we have to have strong opinions. We if would not we be good hosts on, if we were medium about everything. We'd be bad business partners if we agreed on everything the same so, way. So, so the heat is actually really, really good, and and it's supposed to be. Fuck uh, you, DK. I love you too, Lou. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Uh, we had another question, Nar Nautic. Did you have something? I wanted to ask about this earlier, but I want to twitch to comments to come through. But um, what do you think about branding? I'm, I'm big on that right now about creating your own brand and the availability of success, you know, 10 years ago as an engineer compared to now where you don't even need high profile clients. You could just have your own brand and have, you know, passive income like you were saying is like essentially... You know, you and I talk about this from time to no, time. No, I still have to mix my shit that, that so when no, I accept I them. So it's definitely active. No, no. We were talking about like Kato the producer earlier, you know, yeah. like stuff mm -hmm. like that. Or like a lot of people who make it through their branding. Illmind's a huge one too. Yeah. 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 They're both Asian too. What's you talking about the Mexican community? That's really interesting. So what specific question do you have? I don't know if there's a question there. Yeah, as in... As in, like, the importance of branding. You're saying get on social media. Like, what are you doing if you're not on social media, right? It's like, it's free marketing at this point. You can do free marketing. What is the importance of creating your own brand? Do you have to create your own brand? Should you just freelance it from, like, studio to studio? The more Ooh, I actually like this question. So, I, th I think, to, I, I have a summing thing, and then you can expand. Uh, mm -hmm. Gary Vee said, if you have a brand, if you build your own brand, you'll never need a resume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, to be honest, No. No, you don't. I'll be honest. I make nine tenths of my money on word of mouth. But that's I'm, your brand. No, no, no. That's they're that's, still hiring you. No, no, no. That's Lou. that's why. But I don't need social media to make my money. Mm -hmm. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't need my website to make money. In fact, I'd argue that my website makes like one one hundredth of my income. So here's the deal. Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. If you added social media on top know, of you what you're already doing, money. Exactly. That's the point. That's now, the point. That's my point too, though. If just because you have social media and you have clout doesn't mean you do good business. And if you don't do good business, your time is Amen. limited. Amen. Do good business and Amen. build relationships and you'll be fine. It doesn't matter if you have 2,000 followers like I do or if you have 
four thousand. We should do it. We should do a. We should do a mix music podcast episode specifically about ethics. No, seriously, like ethics. ethics is the number one thing. Like I've seen more people burned out of a room because they're being stupid versus people who are here to work together. Um, and like reason- it's so dumb too. Like they'll double down and like they'll double down and they'll they look double dumber. down. It's just like oh, like it's almost like they'll you're shooting down. yourself in the foot and then you shot yourself in the knee and then you shot yourself in the arm and then you lost yeah, your toe. What are you doing, dog? <laughs> like just leave with your bread dead foot. Like just leave. It's like it's good. The, the funny thing here is like I make a big stink about like how and DK has actually said it in these funny words that actually totally makes sense because i have a running joke but i like the way dk says it my running oh. joke is all my clients are my girlfriend um i will care for them in a way that nobody else will you know uh dk says uh he's like yo i could tell how um careful you are about people like uh, you mentioned that about keisha that i'm very uh i'll look out protective. for her vibe yeah, protective yeah. Um, I look out for her vibe, the people that surround her, this and that. When we're in session, I'm not here to look after her. That's not the goal. But my goal is to make sure that whatever we work on together, she gets the end result she was looking for. If people are doing some weird, stupid shit, I got to be mindful about that. Because at the end of the day, my goal is to make sure that her product comes out right. I don't really care what third party is doing. Well, granted, she is worth protecting because she is like, she is a sweetheart. Like, she, dude, she's she, such, she's she might come sweetheart. off being like... Sometimes she comes off bear, being dude. a bitch, but like she's genuinely a sweetheart. Yeah, she's so kind. It's kind of she's actually gone gross. harder for me than How most. Kind she is. Than, <laughs> she's gone harder for me than any other major artist I've ever met in ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No joke. Like Keisha is one of. If you've got her back and she knows it, she'll have your back. I promise you. The one thing she is kind. It doesn't even matter if it's Keisha. Anybody will. If you got my back, I've got yours. Yeah, yeah. because the reality is this. If you said you're gonna have it done Tuesday, it better be done Monday. So, so <laughs> like, yeah. So, give like, me some revision time, man. Like, jeez. This doesn't really answer the question, but to expand on this, uh, just like Lewis saying, brand is not just how you are perceived on social media, like PR thing. It is who you are as a business person. If your brand is always out there getting these records, hitting those numbers, this and that, but you Sending- burn people along the way, then those same people that found you through your brand will say, "Don't trust that brand." Yeah, being known as the guy that turns in their projects immediately, has a fast turnaround time, right? Has uh, good quality. Enjoys doing revisions, are very pleasing to talk to and work with, has if great business notes ethics. For them, they're not complaining. They're actually, sure, let's do Communication it. Communication is great. These are all part of the branding. Again, yeah. I, th- I would assume the branding is reasons why people would pick you and not someone else. And so it's not necessarily on social media, but I think social media is a free thing that you're just widening your net. And like I a feel fish- like this goes back into the episode that we had where we spoke about clients versus as customers hmm. you know the brand will f- help you find customers the customer will go anywhere but they'll just go wherever it's shiny but the brand nice. will also help you keep clients no it will but it'll keep them interested but you want to convert to client and that ethics that you have will convert to client hmm. which is again ethics would be part of your branding in this case right so it's like the idea with the social media is like yeah um you re- we're doing what everybody else does which is we're throwing in a fishing line in the water and we can catch one fish at a time. But yeah. if you do things like social media and YouTube and TikTok and well, I mean, show, social media is like everything, right? So Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and SoundCloud and, and whatever. And you're making Spotify playlists on the side or whatever. What you're doing is, is with your two hands, instead of holding one rod with two hands, now you're throwing out a net. 
So um, with a higher potential to catch more. So it's never will social media or other platforms ever slow you down unless you do something non-PC. Uh, but like, <laughs> yeah. but even then, like there's probably, even if you do something non-PC, there's probably going to be people that hard want to protect you and like see through the bullshit and like they'll become even bigger fans. So it's like, yeah. it's still like, uh, like Will Smith out of all of that shit that happened, he gained more followers out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he may have gotten in all the trouble in the world, but he came out net positive as far as fans go. Like, yeah. emotionally, way negative. But, like, <laughs> what we see, clout, yeah, way positive. Which is really interesting. We'll talk about human nature and how negative yeah. it is in later day. But, uh, but well, once again, like, <laughs> social media is honestly a really good tool. It's actually very ne- uh, necessary. Building your brand and making sure that it's marketable and this and that is actually a very, very, very needed thing. But the reason I'm not a big social media user nor do I post every day nor like there was a point where I was actually doing a lot um, and DK helped me see how to track those m- metrics and it was actually gaining a lot of attention but um, you know I my clients that I've had are long term clients it's very rare when I have like brand new clients and the reason that that's the case is because I don't actually market myself a lot and then when I do find a new client, it's usually word of mouth, like somebody recommended me, and that actually converts much more effectively than any social media thing. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if I may do so, this is gonna hurt a little bit, but I'm gonna hurt call, me. I'm gonna call you out a little bit. Oh yes, and, hurt he, me. and here's the reason why. Hurt is me. is for me when I don't do social media, which is often, it's because I'm lazy. And yes, oh, I, I also lazy. have my client thing. I also have my client base here. But let's say on top of your client base that you're mm-hmm. so consistently lovingly talking about, which is true. Yeah. If random people on the internet also started hitting you up and you had the right to say no, which mm-hmm. I use as I told you before, yeah. that would only help you. Yeah. So it's like there's actually literally no negatives out of it. So what we're doing, what you're saying right now is no, no, it's the, quite I honestly the classic. To yeah, so yeah. it's it's like it might, if I may say so frankly, and this is not for you, this is more for the audience listening right mm-hmm. now, is quite it's it's the classic excuses of not building a brand. Where yes, you're going to do this regardless. What Lou's doing, you're going to do it regardless. You should. Like that's the full baseline foundation. But like building a ba- brand beyond that, um, it can only help you. Like if Lou could say no to seventy percent of his projects, that would only help you. <laughs> like at yeah. the end of the day, so like yeah. I think like the differentiator too is kind of like service focus versus mm-hmm. a product. Because if you invest mm-hmm. a little bit of time in developing a product that you can put out at scale that can give value to those people that you're gonna say no to, mm-hmm. now that's where the value in the social comes in because you have reach and access to like a larger pool of people. Where oh yeah. In a session, you know, you can only work with so many people in the month, and so, so let me let me ask you, how did you hear about us today? So you're you're new, yeah, you've never Eventbrite. listened. You like you didn't build that system. Okay, you, so yeah. Eventbrite. Yeah. So how much money did you pay to come to this seminar? Fifteen dollars, uh, yeah. right? Why the fuck did you pay money fifteen dollars to come here to the seminar? To, <laughs> to meet people and to network and to. But you don't know who we are. Yeah. He's asking <laughs> these questions. With no, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to teach you something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To keep yeah. answering yeah. honestly. Yeah. Oh, you're saying like in, yeah, yeah. as far as so yeah, but you don't know who the fuck exactly. we are. Like, why? Why did you? That's why? the behavior. So the value yeah, is yeah. is there's gonna be people there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So I don't think the value. What I'm talking about is, hey, I look good. See how I look good on social media. The value that's bringing me clients that are doing more than just the product that start trusting my brand. All right. I'm gonna ask you, Nightmare. You listen to the podcast. Yeah. Why the fuck did you spend fifteen dollars? You don't even know who I am. I know I'm a nobody. I don't know who you are. I know who Lou is. Yeah. That's the okay. Personally. Reason. Okay. Personally. Not even personally. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I've met Lou before, and I've 
also met Lou through Iris. Okay, mm-hmm. you're, you're not helping my yeah, example. Yeah, Hold so on. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like book, though. But once again, so DK, it's, it's my no, brand. No, 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 it's no, no, my no, brand. Wait, wait, wait. Trey, Trey. Okay, no, no. I'm trying. I'm trying to push beyond a point here. No, no, no. Don't worry, don't worry. This is all. This is all good. This is all good. It's still not proving me wrong in the sense. Trey, you, you've never met Lou and I in person. Nah, because. And how did you find us? <laughs> um, I actually like originally like podcasts, so I, like I was searching for like a means to like learn okay. about Okay, now this is a good example. Okay, <laughs> you came out here, and uh, well, I mean, I, you I you flew out. You yeah, no, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> that, that's kind of cool. But, but like, oh, you didn't pay it. <sighs> no, okay, yeah, I, almost, I, 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 I did. Let's say I did. Okay, okay. Like, so we, like, still it was like, yeah, fifteen dollars to come here. Mm-hmm, fifteen dollars. Yeah. We're just two random nobodies that you've never heard of. What was the difference? It was because. I think it's because for Trey, when he listened to the podcast, he didn't see the value was not, oh, these guys look presentable or sound presentable. The value was the information that we gave you, which then he trusted us. So if I do silly TikToks where I'm shaking my ass, that may not help me get clients. But my brand that I've carefully curated, and I could do a much better job, it's not perfect, is more about educating. So now people come to me because they have the knowledge and they like who I am, not because I have a product or something like that because at the end of the day we are all of us freelancers are a white glove service every every client is hand catered it's a one-on-one scenario it's a one like everything is dedicated to them and specified for them we're not honda you can't just go to a lot and pick a car we're rolls royce you you detail every single fabric and color and all the accessories and amenities it's your car that's white glove service so so that's the difference you said like you saw a children's book and that sort of stuff. Is that a separate? Oh, that's right? a yeah, that's a yeah, separate yeah. thing. Yeah, but oh, so like there's I, yeah, yeah, but that's that's same but even the same concept. Like you wouldn't yeah. buy my book unless you either one knew who I was or believed in the vision or just genuinely liked well, the product. Like if you're yeah. just doing it's like your in-person network, it's like how many people do you know to buy a children's book? No, yeah, in that in that product case where it's a scalable product, you're right. The branding should be more based around like this is dope. Like this is a high quality book that you yeah, would yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Like in your advertising would change. So that's like that would be something where like advertising would be effective mm-hmm. right but if i were to be like hey i'm mixing for this much money per song would not be an effective advertisement nope. and without really being like marketing or analytic majors right we could Can there's something how do how so people that are engineers that put out a uh, flyer of how much they charge to mix a song oh i got an opinion on this hello uh <laughs> if you're always available you're never working if you're never working you're not trustable I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I have this view for one reason, and DK doesn't promote his price, and I do, and this is going to sound stupid coming from me because of that. Um, the only place you can see my price is on my website. Reason being is that if you landed on my website somehow, that means you're already interested, and you might as well know up front. And if you wanted to check out at my rate, then I'm willing to work with you at my rate. But if you were willing to have the conversation with me and let me know your situation, I might go cheaper. In fact, I like to help a lot of indie artists way below uh, whatever my standard means level is. But I've got artists that I've been helping out for years where I haven't made a penny. Even if they pay money, I just give it to the studio because to me, it's less about how much I charge or whatever. It's just have the conversation with me. I can help you out. But if you don't want to have the conversation, here's my static price. If you're willing to pay the full static price, then go ahead. But I don't promote it. 
I promote what I do and I show my success and my wins. And if that interests you, you can always DM me, go to my website, whatever. You, my phone number is on my Instagram. Dox me if you want. But uh, <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. And your social security number and credit card number. Actually, yeah, I put we'll the social on now. my email blast, so join my email list for the social. No. Uh, <laughs> but either way, the the idea behind this is this. Um, I, do, I like DK. We do turn away work. And um, sometimes it's less about like promoting that you're available for work. It's Sometimes it's more like you're trying to attract a certain type of client. If you create a client avatar and find out who your actual intended demographic is, you'll actually worry less about the money because you'll actually have a better output of like who you're working with. And that actually makes you sometimes be like, you know what, I'm willing to take less as long as they meet these standards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think there's like pros and cons. Um, mm-hmm. For example, when you have a set price and it's publicly available, I actually think there's it, it slows down. Um, clients will then qualify themselves. Can I afford you or not? Yeah. And you don't ever, for me, when I hide my price, well, not hide it, but um, it's more adjustable and it's more catered to what they need, um, then it takes more emails so it can, um, but like, uh, so hold on. Um, I'll have to do the qualifying, but it's a lot more customizable. So there are many times where, like, I just damn like the song, and I'll do it for way cheaper, like less than more than half off. Um, I actually and, just took on a song. Because and and of when that. I do that, when I yeah, and, and so so it's like that. I also when they have a bigger budget than I was planning on doing it for, like if they come in, it's like, hey, the project, the budget was a thousand dollars a song. Well, shit, that's a little bit more I'll than I usually yeah, charge I'll that for. It. My budget is uh, $800 a song. You know, save you a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> Still making more money than I usually would have. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm not saying to be sneaky, but it's more like it's a custom thing. There are some songs where they want me to do full vocal production. That's not going to be my regular usual price. So typically, Lou and I, we, we charge like a very similar price. So I border baseline and... and um, I don't really share this, and it changes all the time. So if you hit me up a year after this podcast episode comes out, price is not today's price. Yeah. So if you hit me up in a year from now and be like, "Hey, I heard in this one episode that you charged this much money," so right now my baseline is five hundred dollars. I discount or add based from there. Mixing only. Well, mastering is usually included for free with me. Um, It's a it's a free. Well, if you hire me at my base price for mixing, yes, it is. But it's it's negotiated. See, it's because I'm a mastering engineer. Like um, like my base price for mastering alone is a hundred bucks. So um, that's if I'm doing it for somebody else. But if I'm mixing it, um, I still want to send it to somebody else. I actually do have a mastering engineer that I use. Um, the reason being is I like people to fact check my work, and I like having a consistent communication with the same people, and that's why uh, other engineers that I know use me as their mastering engineer because. My goal isn't to revolutionize your wheel. It's to have the open communication of like, this is where I hear the issues. You can correct them yourself before I do my thing. Or if you want, I can correct it. It doesn't really matter to me. At the end of the day, our communication is what a mastering engineer is supposed to do. Yeah. So as far as like showing your price or not, uh, I don't, there's a bunch of pros and cons for each. I don't think one is better than the other. I think it's something that you have to come across. You have to make the decision yourself. Yeah. Um, I do like for, one personal thing, and this is more of a PR move. I will never, ever, ever, even the slow periods, ever say um, that 
like things like I'm out of work and I'm booking right now. Or like, hey, I'm looking for people, I charge this price. Or because I'm low on, on bookings, I'm doing half price. I will do discounts when I'm low on bookings, but I'll make sure that the wording of it and the presentation of it is based around giving them value. Yeah. Like, and, I'll, and I'll limit it too to make it even more like crazy. So like you're learning a special trick now. This is like a marketing idea that messes with people's psychology. Actually, hey, I did I'm that doing half month. off. I'm doing half off, but I'm only giving it away to one person. Yeah. That's like, oh shit, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. But really, it's because I needed the work. On my end, I actually did one this month. If you're part of my email blast, I actually sent out a uh, uh, first 10 thing. It's like, yo, because it's my birthday month and I want to actually appreciate the fact that I can do this for a living, like first 10 people to hit me up for lessons, uh, consultation, or mixing. Just those three out of everything that I do. I have like seven different things that you can hire me for on my website that all fall within similar ranges that I can honestly help people with. But... On these specific things, if you need lessons, I'm willing to teach you at half off, which means 25 bucks an hour. Like, dude, I'm barely making anything on it. It's that's not to say that it's not worth my time anymore. But I'm so glad that we can say make $25 an hour, and we've come to the point in our careers where we can say that's barely making anything. You know how many 20-year-olds would die for $25 no, 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 an no. hour? And I realize like, I'm willing to jump but off see, a cliff but see, for $25 check this out. an hour. Check this out. You know what I ended up finding out in this promotion? So one, I did it for my birthday month because I was like, dude, like, I'm not going to like, I don't typically like to discount that much. Like, I, yeah, I may fair. do like 10% off. It can, it can look you bad know, depending on how you oh, present it. Oh, it looks terrible if you do 50% The presentation off, at that I'm point like, is very important. Yeah, only 10 people can choose this. And the people that actually DM me about it, uh, like the people who just blanket wise booked one lesson with it. They're like, okay, cool. I wanted to book four. Like, can I reuse the coupon code? I'm like, you know, you could have used the recurring option and just booked multiple at half off. Like, I really don't care personally, but yeah, go ahead. You know, but the funny thing is this, like I found out that it was people in one guy in Utah, one guy in Germany, uh, one guy in Cuba, one guy in Colombia and one guy in uh, Louisiana. Um, and I got one guy? girl. I don't know. Um, I ask, haven't gotten into all of them yet. I'll ask you later. Yeah, I'll there's so later. many names that I, that I have like three Matthews. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, what? I have like three Matthews. So, like, sometimes I, I'm like, okay, so we said we were going to go over this. It's like, Matthew no. 2? Matthew 3? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it was really funny because, like, everybody that did take onto the option were actually from communities that make less than half of what we make as minimum wage in LA. Mm -hmm. So our state's numbers are also affecting other states' incomes. If you think about it, if you were to say $500 per mix on your Instagram in right Utah? now. In <laughs> Utah? Oh, Yeah, shit. in Utah. It's like, bro, I got to work a month for that. Like, just to have the disposable income for that. You know, so it's going to take me a year to mix my album. You know, and they may be trying to, you know, put it out in three weeks. But maybe, maybe they've saved up three grand for 12 songs. Cool. Maybe. That's only two fifty per song. Am I getting that wrong? Yeah. I don't know. I don't really care if I'm right or wrong. Either way, let's say they can only afford half, but you find out it's a dope artist. Because you named your price out, they wouldn't have hit you up. Because they already priced themselves out, like DK said. But if you allow them to actually have the conversation. 
If you just say, hey, as always, I wanted to welcome you guys to submit your music for mixing and mastering. We can talk about rates uh, on the songs, blah, blah, blah. Or even do what DK does. Honestly, DK actually has a great, uh, I hate to call it this way, but catching system. Uh, he's on Twitch on Fridays. Catching system, like you catch leads this way. Yeah. You get to hear independent artists' music that's unreleased. He gives a mix review on it. You can do a producer's view on it. You can do... There's a producer tips uh, on that's Saturdays, like scalable gillet giving, yeah, right? scalable giving, yeah, because now you're giving insight on it, and because you've built trust in that community, they're more likely to hire you to actually produce their next record or help them produce their current record. They might be able to invest something, but if you were to name out a number that is more than the, what they can typically afford in wherever state they are, whatever country they are, um. You might have priced them out when it could have just been an open conversation. Like, yo, like we're from this country. Like I said, we got somebody in Colombia. Colombia is fairly cheap. Um, let's say that they can only afford two hundred bucks, but they're actually kind of like an upcoming artist out there. Like they've got some clout, but they're still financing everything themselves. Yeah, I'd take it. I'd take it. Uh, a couple things. One, uh, we're almost done, so we only got like 20, 30 minutes left. Um, I could do this all day, and I very much will if unless I stop myself. So uh, y'all have things to go back to. So we'll probably just continue uh, a little bit longer. Um, but um, I was going to say, to on top of that, um, I'm doing it again. I forgot what I was going to talk about. I was going to say... Uh, pricing. Pricing. Cheap, hiding it. Hiding it. No. Helping clients. Twitch. No, um, no, it was something about pricing and discounts. Lucifer. <laughs> um, <laughs> discounting too much can hurt your brand. Uh, uh, discounting too little just no, seems like it was, why. No, it was, something, it was something else. No, I forgot. It's Utah. Gone. It's totally gone now. No, no. It's totally gone Out Indonesia. It was something about discounting. It'll come back. Uh, but anyway, Will, uh, Eric, you have a question. Yeah, I just wanted to comment. I could save it, but... Um yeah, just overall, I don't know if I can speak for anybody else, but like Lou, you know, thank you and, and DK for saying what you said. I think it was like maybe 45 minutes ago about, yeah, like I think even from listening to your podcast, it is kind of like a blue collar job in a sense, but I don't see it that way. It's very fulfilling for me as I'm sure it is for everybody. Yeah. But when you said you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable and share about your per like how it started for you, because I'm a little bit more towards not beginning, but I've done this for a couple of years and it's like, you were like, I didn't take vacations for three years. Yeah. And that one, and you're like, I'm driving the Honda Civic. Like, I still drive like an 07 car that I paid off because I own it. Yeah. And I just a personal thing that I was going to share that I really appreciate what you said was like, you know, I get sometimes I get envious because everyone's traveling all the time and like, yeah. damn, I need a new. I showed DK the, like this desk I bought. And I need to get a new. I'm trying to get a new Mac next week because this I'm on this PC and it's too slow. So I was like, I almost spent my money. I was like on my computer and I was like, I'm just going to buy a plane ticket right now. I need to go. And I'm like, nope. Like, I'd rather have studio gear. Yeah. And I was like doubting myself in that sense. So I just want to say the point of me sharing that was to say, you know, think, it kind of confirms like what I'm doing, you know, because like you made some sacrifices along the way. So yeah. thank you guys for sharing that. No, Close thank you, man. Yeah. Time. Honestly speaking, like I don't always recommend what I did to many people because there was many times that I almost lost my relationship over it which if you ask anybody that knows me like I I hold my relationship really high in fact um I'll actually say thank you to DK on this one yeah that's right fuck you no I'm just kidding um but yeah, yeah no 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 what was really cool is this like that's that's how Lou says thank you that's how yeah. <laughs> If, if you ever meet my best friends, like like we don't say I love you or anything, it's like, 
hey, bro, thank you for that. It's like, fuck you, bro. It's like, <laughs> all right, jeez. No, but um, honestly speaking, like, um, so, like I said, my fiance had given me uh, the option of leaving for a time, and a lot of that was uh, fueled because she wanted to allow me to put more work because she saw that work ethic, right? But there was two things that fueled... Uh, my weight to propose to her too. The number one thing that fueled it was the average divorce rate in the music industry is 50%. And in America, it's 50%. So if you're in the music industry in America, it's probably like 75% chance you're going to get divorced. It's because most people don't know how to calibrate. One thing that I met, uh, that I found when I met DK is that he was very strict about his working hours, his, um, I guess you can say boundaries, and that was something that at first I didn't understand. I'll be honest. Like I kind of looked at DK like you moron, you're losing so much work. <laughs> like, I'll be honest. Like part of it was like, I don't understand it. Like, why won't you work late nights? Why won't you take on more recording clients? Why won't you do this? But he created so many boundaries that I saw that his quality of client was significantly higher than mine. And that was one of the biggest uh, factors in why I wasn't succeeding as quickly as DK. DK has been doing this since 2016? 2015? When I did think you start? full time 2015. 2015. Yeah. Full time. I was about 2016 full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about right. the same time full time, but I had started in 2010. You know, I started in 2010 in the first five years. Like, like I said, I had my own studio. I went to college after already getting many wins and working with big names and all that. But the culture surrounding those clients were not great and there was no boundary set. So it was kind of funny. It was a very slow start, but one thing that I can give advice on right now, and it's better to put this into action now is create those boundaries. DK actually has really, really good set boundaries with his clients and what he's willing to do and uh, what he's trying to do. Sometimes the boundary isn't about keeping people away. It's just keeping focused on what it is. Your goal is, I go home now on average at 10 p.m. at night. Um, I have a team that's willing to work weekends for us and everything, not because we want free labor or anything, but I actually get to spend time with my fiance more than I ever have now, now that I've kind of adapted some of his ways. And low-key, that's actually helped out my personal life because not taking a vacation in three years, bur burnout's real, man. <laughs> at a certain point in my career, I found myself, uh, when I when I hit six figures, it was monumental for me. But I also found myself in a miserable spot where even if I wanted to leave, I couldn't because I never set boundaries on when I can work, when I take calls, when I don't take calls. Um, this past weekend, uh, I accidentally texted one of the people that work for us saying like, hey, sorry, I'm not taking calls today. You can text me if you need me. And then I found out who it was and I was like, oh, shit, my bad. Auto response. He actually needed my help. But now that I've set those boundaries, that's possible. I can actually have a beach day and all that. So honestly set some time set some boundaries like if you don't want to work nights anymore because it's getting in the way of your relationships with your friends and all that you know do that but honestly create a system for yourself to make sure that you still enjoy what you're doing amen, amen. no i get it yeah it's expensive but invest don't invest too much into gear like a tube taxi on one beat i have it here um it doesn't no it i'd never use it to be Personally, honest for personal work for personal work i never use it for whatsoever. clients when they come in if yeah, it's sure. if it's for a commercial mm -hmm. studio that you're buying it that makes sense because they're going to book you as a commercial location 
But as an individual, the gear won't make the difference, but your peace of mind and how happy you are to work and see your clients will actually make a much bigger difference. And uh, DK actually has brought this up in the past. If you invest more into the aesthetics of your space that you're bringing clients to, it'll make you a lot more money than the gear ever will. Yeah, Eric, we were talking about that before the podcast. Yeah. Uh, first off, thank you, both of you, both of you, Eric and Lou, for the kind words. Um, Fuck you. A little, a little, a little <laughs> bit of a... I, I think this is the biggest takeaway here, that... I think people fail to understand. Lou and I did something that I would say most people are not willing to do. Some people are not able to do. Um, is, for example, and, and I'm going to use me as an example because I don't know your situation, but it's something similar. When I was going to college full time, I had a wife, no children yet. I had a wife, um, and I was going to school full time, and I had just taken out a loan to start a business for start a recurs- recording studio. Uh, my overhead was very high. It was as small as it could be, but it was it was too high. Um, and I worked 80 to 100 hours every week on top of going to school full time. I slept for about two to five hours every night for three years straight. Some weeks were better. Some weeks I only worked 60 to 70 hours and still went to school full time. And some of those semesters I did theory core, which is two to three hours of homework every night, just theory, which kills your brain. Um, it was when I was young, 20s, so I had the ability to eat pizza every day and live, you know. And <laughs> and it was it was also when I was younger, so I didn't have to sleep as much, and I didn't have my wife was working full time as well, so I I didn't see her that often, regardless, right? So it was a perfect time. Now thing that I did, and these situations are very different. Um, the biggest takeaway from all of this is a couple things. One, um, why are we doing music? If one of the reasons, and this is a very righteous reason, is self-fulfillment, then do not ever let the reason of self-fulfillment run away from you. Um, going back to the business thing, I remember one of the things I want to talk about is, is when we make money, um, at the end of the day, when we see ourselves like catching, like chasing the bag, and and the chase becomes about the bag and not about self fulfillment, we'll f- soon realize that the bag and fulfillment are on our opposite ends of the football field. It's not the same thing. It could be, but usually the bag fulfillment is behind the bag, at the very least, right? Um, so, in general, um, whatever you do, stay positive. In 2020, I did a thousand mixes in a year. Fucking killed me. That sounds like a really awesome celebration thing. Should not have done that. It was very mentally unhealthy. I got damn good really fast. But like was not good for family, was not good for my mental health. I almost quit the music industry completely. Um, like got very depressed and it took me quite frankly, like until recently, like a whole year and a half getting over that. Uh, it hurt very badly. Um, you, I know you struggled a lot and put in too many hours for the same thing. Some most people are not able to do, and a lot of people, mo- everyone is not willing to do. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, we're grateful for those times that we were willing to sacrifice, and I don't think we'd ever change that. Um, and that's partially just personality. We're just like go-getters to the to the extreme. Um, but I think the biggest thing is is remembering why you're doing this, which is usually for fun, out of enjoyment. Or it may be even deeper because music saved your life 
and kept you from getting depressed. So you want to keep others from getting depressed. So whatever deeper reasons you have, remembering those, and, and usually money is not tied to those. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do that and you seek those things, the money will come. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Uh, so if you... Mm, Making business decisions based on money is the worst thing that you can do. We talked about this before as well. When people are in need of money, they will make stupid decisions. They'll say yes to clients they don't want to work with. They'll start raising their overhead and doing stupid things and trying to be like, if I bought the CL1B, I'm going to make more money. And, and all they're thinking about is money. It, the, the best thing, so the golden rule of entrepreneurship is keep day job, keep your day job or keep going to school. Imagine having a day job that you enjoy personally, like decently enjoy, to the point where no matter who you work with, you had the full capability of saying yes or no to every single client that you had. If that was an option, would your clientele over time become better? Would your mental health be in a better place? Right? It's okay to keep a day job. It's okay to keep a day job for the sake of mental health and for consistency. When you build boundaries, when you say no to everybody, when you build, as Jordan Peter says, you should never raise children to be, become people that you hate. You should never raise children to become someone that you hate. And I will never ever do that. No matter how much the accolades are worth or how much money they may put in my pocket, I will never ever want to work with a client that makes me miserable, which in turn makes my family miserable, but pays me well. My dad was someone that was successful and made a lot of money and he bought us things because he couldn't spend time with us. Doing what everybody thinks a good dad should do. Hustle, you won't see your kids, but you're providing for the family and he did it in the name of the family. For the sake of the family, he'd say, I work. No matter how many boats he bought or RVs or Disney trips, anything that he ever gave me, the only thing that I ever wanted from him which he could never give me was to accept me as who I was. And that shit should have been free. It could have been free. It is free. I don't think, and there's a lot of complexes that go into that and like a lot of therapy that goes into that, right? But it's different for everybody else. But um, I'm not saying I'm not chasing the bag. Don't make money. Don't become rich. You should do it. But do it for the right reasons. Because you love it. Because you're helping other people. If Bezos, no matter how much hate you give him, if Bezos was really in it for the bag and the bag alone and for no other reason, he would have quit Amazon a decade ago. Oh, yeah. But at this oh, point, yeah. if he quit, he'd put millions of people out of jobs and it would destroy families. He can't anymore. It's too much responsibility. Um, uh, David, Jordan Peterson actually talked about um, in psychology, uh, there's... there's um, research that says that joy is a non-human expression like people can't turn feel long-term happiness like that's not really a real thing mm-hmm. a better way to describe it is long-term uh um satisfaction you're satisfied with yourself and the only way to achieve more satisfaction in your life is to increase the amount of responsibility you hold yeah now if that was true how much happiness could could we have when we Raise when we set up our boundaries and actually fulfill the responsibilities that we're created. You don't have to have kids. You don't ever have to get married. But if you do, if you commit to that, fucking commit to that shit. If you're going to be an engineer, fucking commit to that shit. We're not going to half-ass. There's no plan B. Fucking commit to that shit. If I didn't commit to being an engineer, my wife wouldn't have let me do what I did. Yeah. And so, like, what Lou, what Lou, we see Lou do it all the time. We see many people in this room do it all the time. You fucking commit. You say no when you have to. You choose your own path and you make no fucking excuses. 
and and honestly, then happiness, then money, and and satisfaction. I know is inevitable. It is inevitable. Oh and yeah, then, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, what did I say earlier? The, you guys wish me a happy birthday. I was like, I get to do what I love. What we love. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a long tangent. Maybe I shouldn't apologize. Yeah, uh, I went on a long tangent statement. You could just just take a tip from me and just say, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, we're coming to the close of this episode. Thank you so much for anybody that's on Twitch watching right now. We love you. Appreciate you. Uh, I'm sorry that we couldn't get through all the questions, but we'll probably do this more often in the future. Uh, probably like once a quarter, I think, is like a great pace to do something like this. Maybe this this podcast will get so big that we go on tour and do this like in Seattle and do this. On- I want to say like a podcast tour is almost like a giant roundtable discussion with like two chairs. In the no, middle. literally, literally. And people do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, what's well, uh, this is how it's made or whatever. I forgot what it's called. That podcast. They actually do like a nationwide tour. OK, I need to like how it's okay, made. You know how people watch concerts on YouTube? Do people watch like podcast tours? No, no, people can buy tickets. It's a ticketed event. Holy shit. No, yeah. yeah I'm, so just like, I'm just like... So I think it was like... like is it like a performance? Like, you go you, you go see Beyonce perform? Like, if we didn't do live Q&A, like, right now, like, what is a stadium full of people podcasting? Like, holy crap, that's a lot of questions. No, they usually just record it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like us, though. Yeah. We here to watch y'all. It's yeah. crazy, right? That's, that's so crazy um, that this is happening. Uh, but yeah, as we continue to grow, we hope that we build more value and, and make sure that everybody that's here that's listening as well as in person, uh, we wish you, I wish you and I bless you with much more income, with better clients. I bless you with happiness and I bless you with fertile testicles. I don't know what to say. Make some babies. Wow. I just teach yeah. it. Hey, Jay, good time. It's good RJ, yeah, RJ, sorry, my RJ, what's up? What's up hey, uh, but yeah, we're just kind of finishing up. Come on in, come on in. No, you're good, RJ. Thank you. Who? Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's it. That's it for. Um, that's uh. I mean, you can have me. I'm a papi relleno. <laughs> can you close the door for a second? Um, but yeah, that's the end of the episode. Um, we're gonna do official sign off. We want to do it all together. Do you remember the sign off? Everybody remembers the sign off. Hey, we're gonna do say we're gonna say together we're gonna say happy mixing and stay saucy. Ready on the count of three. Three, two, one. Happy, happy mixing and stay saucy. are so many amazing free plugins available for download right now to help you with your production and mixing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash plugins to download and get access to a bunch of free and premium plugins on Plugin Boutique. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.